Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Joy, bliss, let it be unconfined on the programme this morning as we spread spiritual love and happiness and misery for third-rate celebrities. Uh, Roy Keane's car got stuck in a car wash. Who takes their cars to a car wash? Nobody takes cars to a car wash now. They put swirls on it. It's ridiculous. You go to the hand jobs. Much better. Locked up the two yob- Sorry. Locked up the two yobs who, uh, who carjacked a disabled lady vicar. One of them was only 13. Only 13. I wonder, actually, having mentioned hand jobs, I wonder really whether in the rest of the country you have the same as we have down here in London, where, I mean, we do have car washes, but people avoid them like the plague. Paul Hollywood sneaks in for secret talks with Channel 4, and if you feel lonely, blame your ancestors. That's a bit exciting, isn't it? It's blame your ancestors. Oh, I'm feeling very lonely today. Blame your ancestors. I don't really know. Morning, Phil, by the way, incidentally. I know Phil is glued to the programme this morning. And uh, actually, I know quite a number of people who are glued to the programme. And, uh, and Phil is glued in uh, overseas places. Overseas places. Uh, Kian Egan is going off to... Sorry, indigestion now. Uh, to Amsterdam to star in a new show over there on television. I thought he, he loves surfing. He told me he loves... I, think, I said they should do a surfing programme with you. That'd be... People will watch that. Uh, also getting ugly. Brad goes for custody of the kids. He's fighting. Tooth and nail. N- amazing the amount of uh, commentators in the papers have come out and said that she's deeply unpopular. Nobody likes Angelina Jolie. Um, apart from uh, one of our little politicians who proudly dragged her around Parliament. Do you remember... William Hague shot while ago. Was it William Hague? Yeah. Took a round and all the rest. And we're all going, oh dear, nothing sadder than a bald little old man sort of dragging around a, a so-called Hollywood A-lister. But as I say, nobody appears to like her. She's not the most popular person. Uh, sad news about the penguins out at Longleat. They've only got nine left. Uh, they think it was um, a bug that came in with uh, mosquitoes and things like that. And poor penguins are very susceptible to it. And so they've lost, I think, about 30 so they've closed the island down so that uh, they can try and look out for the ones who are, who are still remaining. That must be awful, mustn't it, really? I feel a bit so- They're very messy penguins. That's all I'll tell you. They're very, very messy and very, very smelly. Very, very smelly. Uh, Paul Hollywood sneaks in at Channel 4 for, uh, for talks uh, about, presumably, his, his job at Channel 4. Presumably. Uh, and Liam Payne, remember little Liam Payne? Apparently, laughingly, he's in a recording studio in America. I've got no idea why. Nobody's going to be buying his records anytime soon. I, don't, I think any of the One Direction people, just give it up now. Because Zane's done it, and uh, as I say, there's no chance of him touring, because I don't think he's sorted out the anxiety attacks. So the rest of them, you've left it way too late, way too late. It's going to look very silly, some little boy on top of the pop. Oh, we don't know how top of the... We don't even have any music shows to promote now, do we? There are no music shows on the telly. Top of the Pops was the one programme that people dropped everything for. If you were on tour and you got Top of the Pops, you would, you would literally take a couple of nights off on the tour, come back to London, do Top of the Pops, and then you'd, then you'd go back on tour again. Uh, plus, they've come up with the latest wheeze. I'm surprised nobody's thought of it before. It's a burger and a hot dog. I can't remember what they actually call it, but it's literally a burger cut in half with a hot dog inserted. Have you ever heard anything so stupid? Some blokes patented the idea of a burger and, uh, and, and a hot dog. Phil is indeed glued. Isn't <laughs> I'd pay money for that, Phil. I'd pay money to see the photo. <laughs> Oh dear, and uh, and what else did I have? Oh yes, there was uh, yesterday uh, because we uh, we did Monty Don yesterday. It was great, and I and I also I have to confess I had a dream about the producer. 
The producer featured in one of my dreams. The Australian producer featured in a dream. No, it was you. And you know what it was? I don't know how this ever came about. I was sort of, I was in my dream and I have very vivid dreams. And I bought a house. And it's down the road from here. It, it is actually up for sale. I've mentioned it before. It's 16 million. Next to it is another house, which is 16 and a half million. And they're literally opposite uh, Westminster Abbey. They're just a little close there where Charles Dickens used to live, one of the many places. And uh, they've been done up. They've got lifts and everything else in there. And for some reason, in my dream, the producer said to me, uh, can I come back to your place for something to eat? And so I go, yeah, OK. And so I pick him up in the car. He's impressed immediately. We go back there and he walks in the front door. And, of course, coming from Mooney Ponds in, in Australia, he's never seen houses like this before. A lift, a staircase, beautiful chandelier. And he goes to me, oh, cripe, Steve. Is this really your place? He thought I was winding him up. And so anyway, so I, I then say to him, what, what would you like to eat? And it's at that moment I woke up in a blind panic and a sweat because I didn't really know where the dream was going. And I did try to go back to sleep and try and pick up where I'd left off with the dream, and it didn't happen. Have you ever done that? You know, you, you have a dream, you wake up, then you go back to sleep again, and you're back where you started in the dream. There was, there was, nothing, there was no food in the house. There was nothing in there. I just had booze for you. And, 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 and he wanted to go and sit in the garden outside, and I said, no, it's better to stay inside, because it was winter. And that's all I remember about it. I but I just remember he was very, very impressed with the house. And he then, because he, he was working. And so he then came back in here and everybody said to me, he came back and he was saying, oh, Steve, mate, your house is unbelievable. You want to see Steve Allen's house? He's got, you know, six bedrooms and he's got three kitchens and he's got a lift in there. And people are going, yeah. And he's going, no, seriously, I've been in there. One of the few people to see the inside of Steve Allen's place. And, um, and, and it was but very odd when you wake up and you're not sure if it's happened or... I'm psychic, and that's an indicator of the fact I'm going to win the lottery. Because we, we, we discussed psychic ability before. Because you sit there sometimes, like the other day. I thought, I was sitting at home, and I thought, oh, I've not heard from a friend of mine, Chris, who's over in, uh, in uh, Spain at the moment. Blow me down. Within a second, the phone clicked into life, and it was him sending me a text. Psychic Steve. Sally Morgan. Poo. Poo. Steve Allen. Yeah. I mean, I, I can predict all sorts of things now, mainly to do with my own life. <coughs> when I was talking to Monty Don yesterday, he's written a book about his dog, Nigel, uh, and other pets as well. And he's had, he's been, he's been completely flat broke in his life. He lost everything. He lost the house. They lost everything. They had not one stick of furniture, not one penny piece. And I, he said, but now, he said, I've realised, as I get a bit older, he said, everything is, is precious. He said, life is really good. And I said, it is. I said, it, you know, we're both very lucky. He said, you're lucky. He said, and I'm lucky. We both do something. We adore doing, and we get paid for it. I said, well, I never get over the, the excitement of being paid for doing something that is, to be honest with you, so easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. It's not difficult. You know, all you have to do is sit down, be mildly entertaining, and talk about all sorts of things which people can associate with, and lo and behold, you've got an audience. You don't get it straight away. You don't get it straight away. You know, it's very rare that you find somebody who's uh, who's had a, a really, really, really long career, you know, in radio because because times change and things evolve. And that's that's what happens really with LBC. You'll notice that every so often LBC will bring in another couple of new presenters. So we've got Matt Fry, who joins us from this weekend. And so it'll be easy for him. You know, we've got lots of new people that we sort of pop in every so often and people who come into cover like Nigel Farage. And and then you've got the wheel 
which has got, you know, some little key points on it. And then you just fill in the missing gaps. And that keeps it fresh. Because the moment it starts sounding tired and dated is the, is the time you have to change things. And I've always said, as you know, to my boss, if ever it gets to that time where the audience tails off or, you know, people just sort of kind of fall out of love with you, uh, then, you know, you just have to let somebody go. And he agreed. So I then went terribly depressed and hence having these bizarre dreams about people. But I dream in colour. I used to have a recurring dream some years ago. Many, in fact, many, many years ago. And the dream, I ended up doing a programme on dream interpretation. There are lots of books about what your dream means. And my one was involving a castle. And all I know is, and I can see it as clear as a bell, I see a staircase going up but I can't see too far up, and on the left-hand side there is a door, and it's a big, solid, wooden door. And in my dream, I've got as far as the door, and I've just gone to open it, and then I wake up. I have another dream where I'm walking around the battlements of a castle, looking down, and there's a, 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 a drop, the like of which you cannot imagine. Absolutely amazing. And uh, those I don't have, but I've started dreaming about people I know. How odd. I mean, isn't that weird? I think it's, it's slightly weird. Because I often wonder, if I'm thinking about that person, whether or not that person is, uh, is thinking about me. Do you think, is that, could you influence somebody? My friend Phil uh, cooked penguin eggs in the Falklands once. Awful. Tasted like anchovies. <laughs> isn't that what they eat? Don't they eat anchovies, I think? I couldn't, I couldn't eat penguin. I couldn't eat penguin eggs either. I did, oh, no. In fact, actually, I'm a bit funny about eggs, full stop. I think Edwina Curry started this, this thing with me about eggs. And every time you sort of crack an egg, I keep thinking, but that actually could have sort of gone... The... Yeah, they eat penguins, do they? In Australia? Do you eat penguins? How big are your bloody barbecues, for God's sake? Do you eat penguin? You don't eat penguin over there, do you? I think that's awful. Do you eat penguin? No. Oh, right. No, he didn't buzz in my ear. He just, men he just mentioned the fact that you eat penguin in Australia. That was a joke. You have very funny jokes over there, don't you? Ha, 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 laugh out loud. I've eaten a penguin. That's very funny, isn't it? Equal rights for penguins, sonny boy. I've never anything like it. You think... Is that, is that a, an Australian idea of a joke? We eat penguins. Well, take me back and whip me to pieces and call me Susan. You know, it's as... We don't. <laughs> you see, Happy Feet is one of my favourite things. But I mean, but that's that's the idea. An Australian joke is, oh, we eat penguin. You can imagine just how riotously they laugh in Australia at that one. They're all sitting there sewing their sides up on Bondi Beach. He told the joke about eating penguins again. I can't believe it. That Steve Allen program takes takes us to new heights. <laughs> I've got another one for you. An Australian lost a job. Ha ha ha! Very funny. <laughs> the white cooked like bubble wrap, says Phil. Oh, don't, please. Please don't. I can't bear to think about that. I, if ever I have eggs in a restaurant, I always have to have them fried both sides. I don't want anything that runs or looks like yolk or looks or has got white glutinous... Oh, no. Funny, isn't it, really, about the things that you sort of you have to sort of put up with in this day and age? But, you know, there you go. I'm sure it'll be fine in the long run. Uh, we'll take all your texts and emails. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. It's interesting uh, because we had a picture the other day of a lady who came to my show at the Shaw Theatre. Maggie, she discharged herself from hospital. And the amount of people who've written to me saying, oh, now we can put a, uh, put a face to the name. Because she queued up in the early hours of the morning. I had taxi drivers saying, there's people queuing outside the Shaw Theatre, Steve, to buy tickets for the show. And she was among the uh, the first people 
to actually get a ticket for the show. See at the house. Nothing in the fridge. <laughs> it's an English joke. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Um, lovely one here. Uh, Ferdinand says, I could have sworn I heard Steve Allen show on Radio 4 this evening. Do they repeat it? Because that was done for, for a Saturday programme for my friend Eddie uh, as a favour. As a favour, Eddie, honestly, as a favour. And, uh, and then somebody from here, Rachel, says, nice to hear... LBC legend Steve Allen on Radio 4, which was a bit bizarre. Uh, no mentions of Umbrellas or Sarah Harding, so I must be mistaken. No, it was, uh, it's a part that they do where people send in news headlines and they get different people in to read the headlines. Perhaps they repeat. Perhaps it's a repeated programme. I don't know. I'm always, I'm always amazed, actually. Uh, nice to have you company anyway this morning. If you have just joined us, be part of the spike, which is what we have. I don't care whether you're here in America, delivering, lying there thinking, I really feel quite ill, in hospital. I wonder if we get people in hospital. I think we must do, mustn't we? Nurses sitting there going, oh, let's just listen to a little bit more of Steve Allen. Somebody's ringing. It'd be like a carry-on film. Somebody's ringing the bell. Nurse, nurse. No, make him wait. Steve Allen's on the radio. And people in Australia... But we do have people in Australia, don't we? We do have... Uh, we, we, we've discovered a few people. Well, th- those that can write English, anyway, are v- very, very enjoyable. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Some of the other stories which are in the papers uh, today will come around to in a moment. Uh, we do put all your texts and emails in. Neil's up early. He says, I woke yesterday morning hearing your dulcet tones. I had to leave home at six... So when you said it was 20 to 7, I flew out of bed in a panic. I looked at the clock. It was actually 11.20pm. I dozed off listening to an old podcast. Duh. Dozed off? Podcast? Listening? Outrageous. Anyway, hi to an old school friend, Steve Reynolds, who I found out last night is a Steve Allen listener. So, uh, morning, Steves. So there you go. We always find... I'm constantly amazed at how many people listen to this programme in the morning. I'm bumping into people all over the place. My boss will say to me, he said, oh, my wife was so-and-so, and the teachers at the school where his kids go to school, they listen to the programme as well. So I'm obviously popular with teachers, obviously along the advice lines of, listen to this man, don't ever take any notice of anything he says. OK? It's as simple as that, isn't it? Uh, Michael, on the subject of dreams, he says, do you have ongoing dreams? Yeah. Huh? I had recurring dreams, not ongoing. I prefer to call them recurring, but not now. Mainly I dream about people I know. And, but dreams only last a matter of seconds. What you're supposed to do is, when you wake up, you're supposed to write them down. But to be honest with you, you sort of lie there and you think, oh, oh I'm remembering this one quite well. And then within about half an hour, it's gone, completely erased from your memory. So it's a bit like a mini-series in a very small mind. And I don't know why we dream. I can't, somebody said to me, it's, uh, what did they say it was? It was something to do with... You know, if you've got anxiety, well, I don't have any anxiety. That's what I was saying to Monty Don. We're both in a very, very good place. I said, to be honest with you, the older I get, the more I've decided to be lazy. And when I say, I mean, I, only lazy in so much as people say, oh, you know, you've got so many more hours in the day. Why don't you go and do something else? You go, what for? Why would you want to do something else? You know, you devote all your energies. And I'm on air seven days a week, six days live. And uh, on the seventh... The law, even the Lord rested, but uh, I'm still on air on LBC. If the Lord was around, he'd probably have a show on LBC at the same time. And so I don't feel the need to do anything else. I don't have any ambitions. You know, ambitions, you know, you have when you're a much younger person. When you get to be a certain age, in my case, over the age of 40. In fact, actually, Monty Don and I, uh, I'm a little bit older than he is. Not much, but a little bit older. And uh, we had a really good chat. It's, you know, when you, you, you bond with somebody, and I've explained this to you all before, that when you do a lot of interviewing... 
And I'm, I'm very good at, uh, at interviewing. I don't have any problems talking to people. And as, once I'm armed with a few facts and figures, I can just, I can talk about anything. Absolutely, mainly me. And uh, so we ended up having a good chat. We bonded really well. We've, you know, I felt I could probably pop down to his house, have, have a cup of tea and sit down, slice of cherry Genoa. Oh, delicious. And, uh, and just talk about and put the world to rights. That's what it's about, isn't it, really? That's why people, that's why people like listening to, uh, to speech radio. People, people like speech radio because at this time of the morning, it can be pretty lonely. If you're just listening to music, and I appreciate it, listen, I've got lots of friends who play music for a living, and I, I never knock it in any way, shape or form, but if I was listening to the radio, I would probably want to hear speech, probably. Uh, I know that uh, Tony Pelledri, lovely Tony, I'm hoping he's up at this time of the morning, I suspect he, uh, he might be, I suspect he might be, so it's uh, nice to know you there, Tony, we're, we're there for you, you're there for us at the same time. Uh, somebody says you're booming away in the gastro ward in Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, nearly as much as the patient's says Rob. Lovely. There you go. So I'm going out in the gastro ward. Is that, is that, is that tubes down throats gastro? Is that what gastro ward is? I think that's what, I can't remember. Is that the sort of, when people say somebody's got gastroenteritis? It's the only word I know. Believe you me, that makes me sound terribly educated, but I promise you it, it, it's, it's not really true. Uh, what else we got here? Um, uh, ex-British MP Edwina Curry says, John, pensions £650 a month, ex-Irish uh, TD, Bertie Ahern, pension, 10700 a month. Wow, it's quite nice, isn't it? Live on that kind of money very nicely indeed. And um, who else we got here? I love reading everybody's things. I, re- I really do. I'm, I was fascinated by reading what all my other friends in radio are doing. Somebody said, my friend Anthony says, is there ever a right time to eat cheesecake? Do you know, I never did cheesecake. They used to do it in restaurants. They'd go, would you like cheesecake? Go, it was, and then somebody said, oh, you just make it with digestive biscuits, crumble them all down, and then you sort of do this sort of base. It's like banoffee pie. I never quite got into banoffee pie, or is it mud pie or something? All these different things. I, I just never did it, actually. Uh, never did it at all. Uh, what else we got here? Somebody's got a, an award. Somebody went to an award ceremony. There was a television award ceremony the other day, which was, uh, which was lovely. And, um, and then what was the other thing, actually? Oh, right. Oh, it's in, it's in radio today. Matt Fry joining, uh, joining LBC. All these people get loads of coverage. I don't get any coverage at all. They just go, Steve Allen there. Yes. And they just leave it like that, don't they? Right. What else we got? What else have we got? Uh, best programme ever on my night shift at Harrods, says Mohammed. What are you doing at Harrods? It's always interesting, isn't it? Uh, John says, uh, I love the way you can talk about nothing. I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? I am king of the wafflers. I can talk about nothing and make it entertaining. And that, as they say in the business, is a bit of, a, a bit of an art form. It is. I mean, somebody said to me, so, you know, do you ever dry up? I said, no. Why would you ever dry up? I get paid for talking. I said, but if ever I, I do dry up, I can then spend ten minutes talking about drying up. So there's always an out for it. I mean, I, I have met people in the business who go, how do you just keep talking? I said, well, mainly the lure of a cheque at the end of the month is actually quite, uh, quite positive. And so, and you, and you do it, you know, on, on game shows, you know. So in other words, if, if somebody gives you a theme, you can, you can talk about it for 20 minutes. I've always said I could actually talk about, you know, uh, trumpets for 20 minutes. 
because luckily I was in a brass band, so I can talk about trumpets and learning how to play them and the fingering and everything else on, on there, because I couldn't read music. As long as I knew the tune, I was all right, and the bandmaster would put down... You see, I can talk about trumpets and flugelhorns and cornets for about the next hour and a half easily, and he would put down... So, because you've got three three valves in there, the worst thing is about, about playing trumpets and cornets and flugelhorns is that you go... Like that. You spit into it. So every so often you have to hold the little valve open at the bottom and a trickle of phlegm comes out onto the floor. It's the messiest thing ever watching brass bands. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, it gurgles. And it sounds worse because you've built up all this phlegm. But you do spit into it. You go... And the reason I got a flugelhorn is because my lips weren't big enough to play a euphonium. I wanted a euphonium because I thought euphonium... A bit, like, bit like the sound of music where they're doing the lonely goat herd. So I can, I can do the sound of music as well now. So that could take me on to another tangent. So effectively, you can talk about nothing quite easily. You know, I could talk about computers. I can talk about, you know, telephones. I could talk about carrier bags, if you like. But I think we had a result the other day. I went into Marks and Spencer's. Other supermarkets were available, but I didn't go there. I went to Marks and Spencer's. And the bloke who called me mate appeared not to call somebody else mate. So I thought we might have actually had a result on that one. We might have had a result. Uh, Lee's a lorry driver and uh, says, I work a night shift and finish at four. I've then got a 45 minute drive home and it's the best 45 minutes of my night. He says, keep moaning. You've got to moan. You've got to moan. But I, I do it quite seriously. I'm not just doing it, you know, for some sort of effect. People say, oh, you're just doing that to sort of wind people up. No, no, no. I firmly believe everything I say. If I, if, if I, if I moan about something... I'm, I'm absolutely on the money. Like Brad and Angelina, I couldn't give a toss about them. I really couldn't care less. Why should you have to care about them? They don't come into my life. They don't live next door to me. I'm not interested in them, their film careers, their kids. I couldn't care less whether he smokes weed, dope, injects. I'm not bothered. I just really don't care. You know, as long as you look after your own life. If it was somebody I knew, I might have some concern. But to be honest with you, I'm really not, really not bothered by them. It's just It's gone on again today. More and more pages of Angelina and Brad, like, oh, dear. And um, one uh, says, I heard you on Eddie Mayer's PM programme yesterday. Did he repeat it then? Perhaps he must repeat it. I don't know. He's a sweetie, actually. He's, a, he's, he's been really nice to me. Seriously, people, people don't have to be nice during the business because it becomes a little bit competitive. But uh, we don't seem to get that on this programme. I don't know why. I think they feel sorry for me, really. But anyway, and uh, somebody says, you sounded very posh, your BBC voice. Really? Oh, I just thought I was reading something out. I, never th- I mean, I wasn't conscious of what I was reading it for. I suppose it would be different if I was working for sort of, you know, East Molesey Student Radio or something like that, or Hospital Radio Bedfordshire or Berkshire or something like that. Uh, Apparently, James O'Brien's Magical Hour is on later. Well, it is whenever I see him. We were talking about it yesterday. He said, why are people so easy to wind up? I said, I've got no idea, as I took the key out of his back. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to uh, five. According to Terry... He says, your PM recording uh, used it as a teaser for a feature this week with Barry Cryer. Oh, lovely. Don't Barry Cryer's amazing. Isn't he phenomenal? He just keeps going. He just keeps going. He never, he never, he never not keeps going. He's, and I think he must be 80. He must be 80 by now. It's phenomenal. Uh, somebody says, did you listen to the radio show Just a Minute? 
Could you speak for a minute without repeating yourself? Of course I could. What do you think? I've been doing this for 40 years. What do you mean? 81, is he? He's 80. Is he really? Good God. 81. Hope for all of us, I think. Mind you, if I'm still doing this at 81, I'm going to be so gaga. It's going to be a hilarious programme. Even I'll probably listen to it. Uh, Dan says, finish my night shift. Quick sleep. Then off to Reading to pick up my new iPhone. He got a 7 Plus last night. He can't wait to get it. He's obsessed with getting phones quickly. He's obsessed with them. He'll always be texting me going, do you have the new iPhone? I've decided against this one. I've decided that I'm not going to have this one. I'm, I'm not going to be lulled into a false sense of security by being uh, parted from my money. This, apart from that, it's been a particularly heavy month. Uh, who's in conversation? Oh, come on. It's ridiculous. And um, it's, who is it? Oh, some little bloke. You won't have heard of him. Uh, Daniel uh, Rod, Rodcliffe or something. Anyway, and some, I don't think he ever, he ever did anything at all. And... Um, and some, uh, who was the other one? Uh, join, join Sumor or something. I don't, uh, sumo, something to do with Sumo Rest. I don't know. You won't have heard of them, so it, it doesn't really matter, actually. <laughs> 84850 steve at uk. We read them all out. We don't like to not read them out uh, for the simple reason that uh, this programme runs through till seven. So I've now bagged myself, inadvertently, the breakfast show. I've gone from early breakfast to half of a breakfast show. Now I've got the whole first bit of it. Because every breakfast show in this building starts at six. Every one of them starts at six. And what time am I on? Six. Every single breakfast show. I'm going to take away their audiences. I've decided this is going to be my mission in life. I'm going to take away the audience. And they're going to be going, have you heard Steve Allen? He's on till seven every morning. I mean, that's like huge audience. Well, I mean, it's huge audience anyway. And uh, like the new finishing time, Steve says, Dave, now you take me right up till I finish work, which is, uh, which is good, which is good. Uh, thank you, everybody, for telling me about uh, PM and so uh, the fact that we were used, uh, which is great. But we did that. That must have been two weeks ago we did that. Was it two or three weeks ago? Something like that. So uh, I never complain about it. Somebody wants to do something like that. I'm very, very happy with it. Uh, what was the other? There was another story. Front page of the uh, oh, the, uh, the, the Daily Star, because they're all running with Brad and Angelina. And they're now saying that he says he will battle for the kids. Why not? I don't know why she thinks she's going to get. She's a miserable old soul, isn't she? Well, let's just see her with William and William Haig as he trotted around like a lap dog. It was embarrassing to watch. And, and I felt a little bit a little bit sad as well that poor old Leanne Payne is upset at being away from his girlfriend. He posted a gushing message. I miss you, the things you make me do home soon. And you think to yourself, you are stupid, really, because you're now sharing, as opposed to just doing it privately on her phone, he's done it on, on Twitter, so everybody reads it. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit feeble, but there again, he is a, he's, he's just showing off. It's 22, and he's bagged himself an old bag who's been around the block a few times. I should imagine she... I mean, I shouldn't imagine, before he met her, he'd have had much experience get my drift. You know, and all of a sudden, as I say, she's... I mean, she comes from a tower block in Newcastle. God, she'd have had experience for the last God knows how many years. Wouldn't like to imagine. Teddy... Do you think she puts perfume in bed? Do you think she... Oh, her per... Oh, I hope not. Hope not. I mean, you'd be better off putting that, um... What do they call it? Just spray her under the rim in the toilet. Toilet duck. <laughs> Cut out the middleman. Put it in a bottle. Oh, let's call it Cheryl, shall we? Lovely. Because she... Apparently, she really understands... I did laugh the other day. I did laugh. There was a picture of, uh, old Davy Boy Beckham. Not getting a tattoo or not coming back from the gym, spinning on his bike or whatever he does, but, uh, sipping whiskey. You can imagine David going, have a little sip of whiskey. <laughs> Got me drunk. 
<laughs> just imagine, can't you? Because I don't think he's a whiskey drinker at all. I just think it's a load of old hogwash. I really do. I mean, David looks like he'd have a Cinzano in lemonade. He doesn't look like I'd be drinking anything butch like a whiskey. Uh, they're, they're saying in the paper today that uh, Lisa Snowden is going off to I'm a Celebrity. And they've said here, Peter Dyke has written this, uh, that Hollywood's A-listers will be watching her. No, they won't. Why would they? They've not been watching her up until now. Uh, fashion model Lisa dated George Clooney for five years and hung out with Brad Pitt and Matt Damon. Yeah, not anymore. That was years ago. Years ago. And she's certainly not going to be spilling any beans. She's not that sort of person. She's not like Ola Jordan, desperately sad and lonely. Or Laura Whitmore, anybody like that. No, Lisa Snowden's class. She wouldn't do anything like that. That's not her sort of thing at all. Uh, they're also saying that Stacey Solomon has been signed with Vicky Patterson. Oh, God. They'll have to sober up first, won't they, to host something. But um, uh, Stacey is working uh, with her boyfriend, an ex-Jungle King, and bankrupt Joe Swash. As I say, he'll, he'll latch on to anybody, won't he, really? Uh, who else do we have here? Who else do we have? There? Oh, look, it's a lovely picture. I'm sorry to mention it early in the morning, but it's nice to see a picture of poor old Katie Price thinking she looks sexy as opposed to she looks slightly odd. She just looks very odd with this sort of peculiar hair and she's promoting her latest autobiography called Reborn, which is sort of, you know, that's what's called it, amoeba. I think it would actually go so a little bit better, wouldn't it, really? But the trouble is, she can't look sexy anymore. And the amount of makeup she's got trolled on there, trowled on, no, trolled on, I think would be better, you know, just makes her look a little bit ridiculous. And all the people writing in say, Katie Price, Michelle has the real talent, you don't. Yes, I mean, Katie Price doesn't have any talent. She can't read, she can't write, you know, very well. We know she can't. Uh, write because all her books are ghosted everything even her novels are ghosted. everything's ghosted she can't do anything she's sort of become a bit of a joke figure and of course if she's not careful we're going to be laughing at the kids as well now which is not very good is it not supposed to be laughing at children but you know apparently princess is going to have an instagram account where she's going to be giving makeup lessons god in heaven do us a favor please please do us a favor just go far far away and watch the Celebrity Homes programme with Sarah Harding. You're so right about her. What a silly, silly woman, says Pat. Yeah. she's. I mean, I didn't see the programme, but she's a bit of an attention seeker. And she's. I think she's really lonely. I think she's... You know, she's tried the singing. She's tried the acting. She's tried both, and it's not, uh, not really succeeding very well, is it? So I don't know what she does. I bet she couldn't even stack shelves properly. Oh, by the way, Waitrose, according to Witch magazine, the supermarket to avoid... Because of their so-called deals. I'll come around to that, excuse me. Mm. A little bit later on. And I've gone mad this morning. I brought in blueberries and raspberries. Because I thought, if you're going to have fruit during the programme, blueberries and I keep thinking blueberries are really good for me. I'm not sure if they are good for me, but I'm, I'm working on the assumption that they might be. Um, what have we got here? This is uh, Brad and Angelina. I think she's got a vile temper on it. That hence being married uh, three times. Uh, Orsley, uh, also, uh, Strictly Come Dancing Bosses fancy former pro winner Karen Hardy to, to replace Len Goodman. Because I turned on Loose Women the other day and that creepy Tony Beak came on. Oh, he really is. He's like a gushing oil slick. He's so, he drips. He drips. He drips insincerity. It's so ghastly. And he came on with Leslie Joseph, who for 70 looks fantastic. But uh, Tony B, they always put him with the old women. And, uh, and she said, oh, I was, I was quite thrilled. And he went, ooh. And I thought, oh, God, don't give it to him, please, God. I don't think the public like him at all. Perhaps it's just me. Isn't that nice that, we, that we're not allowed to like certain people? That luckily in this country we're allowed to actually go, I don't like that person. 
And I, re- you know, and I think television is very unforgiving. I think television is the sort of thing that you watch it and you go, you're good, you're really terrible. Because the art of, of being a presenter... We were talking about this yesterday. Why were we talking about this yesterday? Well, we were talking about people who, who are on television who are just naturally gifted in the presenting department. And other people who look so wooden, they're a bit like Sherwood Forest. And other people who are just playing the part of, you know, a presenter on the television. Because people think it's easy. They go, oh, I could be a television presenter. You remember poor old Spencer Matthews? Come on, you remember Spencer Steroid Matthews? Do you remember him? The little Lothario who bedded half the cast of Made in Chelsea and then, of course, got caught out doing his steroids over in the jungle. How he never got caught going through customs? I've got no idea. How did that happen? Perhaps they were masquerading as something else. But anyway, he sort of disappeared and then he started putting out these messages, subliminally, I thought, uh, that he was going to be a television presenter. I thought, on what? What, what do you think somebody as stuck up as you is going to be any good present? You can't present anything. It was bad enough when poor little Ryan dragged his boyfriend out, husband, and, and attempted to make them into a presenting duo on the television. It was seriously embarrassing. Seriously. And then, and then there was Ollie Murs, and that presenting didn't go well either. Caroline Flack is, I mean, I'm sure she's double-jointed. She'd have to be in her job. But, you know, she was just wooden. Just wooden, and in the end, they finally saw sense and went, no, they've, they've got to go. And, you know, I'm sure that Ollie Murs is a very nice guy, but you've got to know your limitations. I don't sing, he shouldn't present. Simple as that. Right, what else have we got here? What else have we got here? Oh, I've got a, a great story about the UK's biggest cyber fraud smashed. It's some poor little boys um, who raked in, I mean, raked in a fortune, 113 million, and he had all the cars and everything. Then he got caught out. He, uh, he was using two sisters who worked in a bank and um, who were stealing information, which is uh, not so good. And uh, one is called Amy Daramola, who was offered 50 quid for details of Lloyds Bank clients, but got the crooks to pay her five times more. She then recruited her sister, uh, her sister Emma, a personal assistant with the same bank, uh, they posted pictures of their online holidays and everything else. Amy from Stevenage in Hertfordshire. I mean, she's as bent as they come. And she got a two-year suspended jail term. Why suspended? This bloke got away with £113 million. He was thieving left, right and centre. They should have been thrown in prison, the key thrown away. Two sisters, both dumb, dumb and dumber still. Talking of that, Roy Keane lost his rag at a garage. I don't know, have you ever, I mean, years ago we did use car washes. It was only when I saw the car, I had a Mazda MX-3, I can't remember what it was, anyway, it was a number. And uh, I used to take the car through car washes. And it was only when you saw it in the, and I had, mine was Sparkle, Sparkle Green, which was like a metallic kind of green. It looked very nice, actually. I bought it brand new, I saw it in a garage, I thought, wow, 14 grand it was. And, And I bought it. And I nearly did my back in getting down because it was quite a low car. And after I'd taken it through car washes a few times, before we had what they call hand car washes, uh, I thought it was lovely. But they never dried it properly. The, the machine used to and it would come down, a little wheel would hit the front of your windscreen and then go over the car. And it never took all the, uh, the water off it. It was ridiculous. So it streaked and it went horrible because they used to put something in the water to make the, the soap suds disappear. And then I discovered the hands... Uh, the hand car washes, which are so much better. And for, you know, 10, 12 quid for a big car, they do it and they dry it underneath and everything, and it's perfect. But uh, I, I stopped using them a long time ago, these uh, these car washes. And so Roy Keane takes his car through, and uh, he saw red when the machine stopped trapping the £80,000 motor. He leapt out, bless his heart, he's obviously got a bit of a temper on him, and berated 
the Shell staff, even though onlookers reckoned it was his own fault for driving in crookedly. Because you've got to get it right down the middle. Because if you don't, the machine goes a bit skew-whiff and it stops. It's got, obviously, you know, to save people's cars being wrecked. Anyway, Keane was seen flailing his arms and ranting down the phone. A source said after the machine's safety cut-off kicked in, his car was stuck for about ten minutes. He got more and more angry. Ha, 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 ha. Wish I'd been there. The machine was eventually restarted and Keane continued the wash. He drove off in Altrincham in Cheshire with his pride and joy undamaged and gleaming. Shell declined to comment. <laughs> what a silly old man, honestly. Why don't you get out there? You've got all these... I mean, he's, he's a dad of five. Why don't you get the kids to clean the car? Bone idle. But he's, he's, he's known, actually, for being a very angry man. He's got a lot of anger management, I think. Because when he played football, didn't he once deliberately break another player's leg? <sighs> oh, dear, Roy Keane, you silly sud. You silly sud. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. So we found a woman and she thieved from the company she worked for as uh, as a bookkeeper. She thieved over eight years, 52,000 quid. What did she spend the money on? She spent it on stupid things. Her name's Kathleen Roberts, incidentally, 47. And she cooked the books. Uh, police found she'd blown a huge chunk of the money on Nando's vouchers. Can't quite see it myself. To be honest with you, given the choice of Kentucky Fried Chicken or Nando's, Kentucky wins hands down every time. You know, go into Kentucky and for 10 quid you get a huge bucket full of stuff. Go to Nando's, you get two piddly little pieces with no bones in, some very lacklustre fries, and uh, and that's £10.47 or something. Ridiculous prices. Everything like it. Anyway, she thieved for eight years and eventually got away with 52,000 quid, so they've decided to make an example of her. And they've thrown the old fraudster into prison for two years. Good idea, actually. Good idea. I mean, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have made it longer. I'd have made it much longer. So um, somebody says here, I'm sure that her time behind bars will bring home the consequences of her actions. She's just an old tea leaf. I mean, to be honest with you, if you can't afford Nando's, you've got a thief 52 grand. It wasn't all on Nando's. I mean, you could have bought a franchise probably for that. But uh, she also uh, bought phone top-up cards, sofa beds. I mean, how many do you need? Furniture, handbags and fashionable clothing. You've got to look at a picture of it. The last thing you'd ever describe this old thief is, is fashionable. She definitely wouldn't be fashionable. But uh, 52 grand, so in prison for two years. There was one bloke. Now, who is he? I found him earlier on. Actually, the other story about Nando's was that um, James Arthur <coughs> took his ex-girlfriend out to Nando's. Obviously a class act. Uh, they managed to get rid of the uh, the Great British Bake Off's old whisperer, the Kate Whisperer, Val Stones. She looked like she was well out of her depth. She couldn't make anything at all. Blooming useless. So... They had to kick her out, so that was uh, that was good. Where is this story? This was a really interesting story. It's about a man who rips people off, tarmacking drives. Hmm, I wonder what sort of person that would be. A, tie, a drive tarmacker. And uh, he was in the... He's in the papers this morning because they uh, caught him out. Apparently he charged somebody something like 16,000 quid for a job that should have been like £500. And uh, he obviously just rips people off. Well, anyway, they've ripped him off because they've sent him off to prison, which is good news. And But there was something else about him. Uh, they've decided they want the money back, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the way forward, isn't it? You know, if, if, if somebody's been done for ripping off a company... Oh, here, here he is. Here he is. He's Cowboy of the Week. His name is Owen Saunders. He's just a thief. And he traded as Barclay Driveways... Always something to avoid, like the plague, isn't it, really? He conned four victims out of 28,500 quid for work later estimated as worth about 271 quid. So he's a right little con man. But uh, don't worry, we've decided to send him to prison. 
Uh, Trading Sanders offices in Kent uh, got him jailed for 12 months. He obviously likes the company of men, so they put him inside prison. Anyway, more victims have since been identified, and he's now been ordered to repay them £68,330, along with Kent County Council costs of £63,000. So that's, you know, uh, he's he's been given 14 days to find the money, or he's going to be jailed for another 21 months. Woo, you must like those boys inside prison, mustn't you? Oh, yes, Mr Saunders. But uh, anyway, you'll have to be paid back, and then nobody will touch you with a barge pole. So just remember the name in case he crops up again around your area doing driveways or anything like that. He's a crook. Owen Saunders. It used to be... Barclay driveways, but I suspect it's probably been changed now. I mean, would you really trust anybody like that? Nope. So he's got to pay over £130,000 back. Oh, what a shame, dear. What a shame how we laughed at your at your rank stupidity. But you got caught in the end, so that kind of sorts it out, doesn't it, really? Next time, longer in prison. That's how we work it. That's how we work it in this country. Cheap people and rip them off, and elderly people. He didn't seem to care who he ripped off, as long as he just ripped them off. Uh, there was two yobs. In the, we haven't used the word yob for ages on this programme, but we found two here, and uh, they've been named. Uh, they met in a court waiting room less than a week before the attack, and uh, and then it's amazing, really, because one is called Jay Desborough, 17. The other one is Leon Rigglesworth, 13. And um, what they did is they hijacked a car. One of them... Uh, Rigglesworth is just a pathetic looking thing. I thought he was wearing a little wig on his head, but it turns out that's the way they've had it cut. So they met in a court waiting room and then they attack a disabled woman vicar. They drag her out of her car and they drove off in it. They've jailed them for up to four years. I didn't know you could jail a 13 year old. But uh, they come from Hull and uh, this uh, this vicar didn't know what was going to what was happening. I mean, you know, absolutely dreadful. Uh, She said the Reverend, that uh, the incident not only affected myself and the work that I do, but uh, also the lives of my family. My granddaughter will no longer come near the church. Is having trouble sleeping. But um, she says, I've asked that those two, uh, those who pray for me, pray for the two young men, that they'll make a positive decision and move away from a life of crime. A 13-year-old. A 13-year-old, a life who drags a woman out of a car. What sort of pond life are they? And Jay Desbury, look a bit girly, don't you, really, for 17? I'm not sure whether or not that sort of haircut is there to make you look even more stupid. But your little friend is good, and I'm glad you've gone to prison. But, uh, of course, they won't learn anything, because they'll just they'll learn how to be even more vile when they come outside again. So, life of crime, I think. So it, it, it'll be a juvenile detention centre that the 13-year-old has gone to. Is he, he's got the most stupid haircut you've ever seen. It's all sort of curly on the top and shaved at the sides at 13. They'll have a much shorter sentence than an adult would get. It seems fairly long, doesn't it? Four years. Mind you, good. I'm quite glad, actually. Their parents must be thrilled. Those are our two yobbish sons that are named and shamed in the paper. I don't know why they lifted reporting restrictions, but they did on this particular one, supposedly to name and shame the families. What ghastly families they must be. Dreadful, really. Angela and Bob says, uh, we think we met your favourite person the other day. We got on a train in Orpington. Completely empty carriage. Two people got on after us. One went to the end of the carriage, the other directly next to us. Lo and behold, shoes off, feet up on the seat and phone out. She had the loudest voice ever. No amount of tutting from us stopped her. We got up and moved. Thank goodness we only went a short distance. Isn't it awful? There was, there was some old bag on the bus the other day. You know, yeah, so I said, because he, like, he never na- asked me like what I wanted for my birthday. No, he don't know. He don't know what I want for my birthday. And so this went on. In the end, some bloke got up and sat next to her and that shut her up immediately. But you're right, it's people who... Have you ever heard the conversations on the buses and the trains? I know how you feel, Angela and Bob. I know how you feel. 
It's terrible, isn't it, really? And they do. I was sitting on a train carriage the other day, going back home, and there's nobody in my carriage. And I'm sitting down, and I'm reading my paper, and some girl comes on and sits right opposite me. Of course, I always... I say the same thing every time. A whole bloody train, and you have to come and sit here. Why don't you go and find your own seat? And then somebody comes and sits right in front of me. There's nobody else on this entire carriage. And they come and sit next to me. It's like you put your car in a car park. I find myself surrounded when I come back. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, People writing to uh, one of the papers today, Daily Star, saying Katie Price has passed it. She doesn't care, though. Well, she does, really. That's the trouble. She she likes to think, oh, no, I'm hard and everything else, but she's not. She's feeble, weak, and now the looks have gone, but that's the best that poor old Kieran Haler can get. Till he finds another one of her friends, which I suspect he might do. Um, If you feel lonely, blame your ancestors. Yeah, I I don't know what lonely is. What does lonely mean? Does that mean that you sort of, you just get depressed? That's just another form of depression, isn't it, if you're lonely? I don't get, uh, I don't get lonely. Or depressed, actually, which is quite good news. That probably really upsets people who do get depressed, because I don't get depressed. And so we, we, we try to analyse it over the years, and I don't think we've ever had a, an answer. Um, somebody wrote to Victoria Derbyshire and said, Why do all BBC girls have the same hairstyle? without reminding themselves, of course, because they were particularly stupid, that she wears a wig because of the cancer. So she wears a wig. So uh, she had to politely point that out to somebody. People are so dumb, aren't they? You know, why does your hairstyle look the same as all the other girls on the television? Because it's a wig, darling. What do you think she's going to put on? Coco the Clown's hair. Honestly, some of these people. But, of course, being BBC, they never actually have a, have a thought on it, do they, really? Uh, I've just finished your friend Oscar King's two books, Persian... Roulette and Moscow Payback. Excellent, says Jeff. Really enjoyed uh, both. Can't wait for the next one. Have you read your copies yet? Only one. Only one. So that's good. So Oscar King, yes, I think he was back in the country a short while ago. In fact, I'm pretty certain he was back in the country. Uh, Let's have a quick check here. And uh, we'll do that there, that there, and push that there. Because now we've got a new website. Have you been to the new website? It's very good. I was on it yesterday. It's loads of me. Loads of me, my videos, loads of my interviews. Really, really good, actually. Really, really good, which is very nice. And uh, the separate lives of Brangelina. The papers are now doing all the analysis, like anybody really cares. I mean, it, it is a bit tedious. It's, um, it's, just a, it's just a couple of people from Hollywood who've got a fortune of £300 million or dollars. Not that it makes any difference. But uh, they obviously don't don't know what happiness is. They can't find happiness because they say this one's been going for ages and ages. And so we were just waiting, really, I suppose, for it to um, just implode from the inside. And that's exactly what it did. Do. It's probably going to get very ugly because I should imagine she's absolutely awful. I should imagine she's awful. I mean, at least he smiles. But she I've never seen her smile. And when you saw her being, you know, hoisted around by William Hague, it sort of seemed so smug with himself. And I thought, oof, dear quite ghastly. Anyway, coming up to the news at five o'clock this morning. Uh, Leanne Payne is very upset, so he's tweeted about being away from his girlfriend. He is only 22. You have to accept the fact he is just a child. Uh, Shameful. Some man, an an OAP, fell down outside a surgery and the staff in there refused to help him because they said he wasn't registered to their surgery. The surgery have since apologised and uh, said that they will review procedure. Who who made that decision? Excuse me, can you help this man? He's fallen outside. What's your name? Oh, no, you're not on our database, dear. I'm sorry, we can't help you. What, you just leave them to die out there? We'll name and shame on this programme. Uh, they've come up with the latest, a burger and a hot dog together. Who'd have thought it? Only in America. And uh, 
the 11 years for the gang leader of a cybercon who lavished cash on supercars. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Apparently, they're going to start the hunt for Ben Needham or, you know, where they think Ben Needham might be buried, if indeed the story was true in the first place, in about five days' time. Well, as soon as we knew about this about five days ago, what in God's name are they doing? It's 12 and a half acres. I mean, I would have thought, can they not bring in geophysics or something like that and go over the ground? Don't have to dig up the entire area. You're looking for the body of a child who died 26 years ago. I would have thought, actually, why not X-ray it? Surely you can see if anything is down there. I mean, surely it's not beyond the... Why is it taking so long, though? It's ridiculous. Uh, the careless cake whisperer has been cut, like it makes any difference at all. Thousands denied the 34p cancer pill. And uh, the vicious thug who threw, wait for it, kittens at a train. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it either. I heard it on the news. I thought, no, it can't be right. Somebody really wouldn't be... Somebody apparently threw a cat and a few kittens at a train, alive. I believe that they found the body of the cat and one of the kittens. Two kittens were still alive, and they've got uh, cuts and bruises and everything. Who on earth in their right mind would ever do that? I'm sorry, I, I just... You kind of wonder whether we're in the real world or whether these are people are junkies, heroin addicts, or they're just vicious, mindless thugs again. I keep using that word, don't we, on the programme. Um, what else do we come up with? Oh, Rianne Sugden. Yeah, I know some old has-been from ages ago who sort of uh, decided to save the text on her phone from Vernon Kay and so made a little career out of it, really, but without actually having to do anything. Bit sad. Uh, Paul Hollywood, pictured in the paper, sneaking into Channel 4 for talks, but he could have been just going in there to use the toilet, but they're saying he's sneaking in there to do it. But I don't know why he would, because his agent would be the one who would be approaching them and saying, uh, you know, it would be... Um, it would be quite nice, I suppose, if he joined the Bake Off programme. And I'm assuming that they'll be after uh, Mary Berry. As I said, we, we do know that they're definitely not after Mel and Sue. Thank God for that. Uh, uh, is Dennis Norton still alive, says Wendy? I believe so. Oh, yes. Well into his 90s now. 94 is Dennis Norton now. 94. And I, I, he's been retired for 10 years because uh, he came in to talk to me. Age, he had a book out. Uh, years ago, years ago, he came in, and I remember thinking, God, it's Dennis Norton. You know, Dennis Norton was sort of king of the shows, and uh, a stalwart of Teddy. He'd stand there with his sort of clipboards. Uh, and I can't, I can't do an impression of him, but it was his very, very distinctive voice. But uh, he said, he said I, I listen to LBC a lot. In fact, loads of people did. I remember Richard Briers, uh, one of our reporters, came back uh, years ago, and he'd been at an event, and, and Richard Briers said, where are you from? LBC. What's Steve Allen like? He said, so I want to know what Steve Allen was like. We never got him in for, a, for an interview, which was a shame. Uh, uh, Anna says, I heard you on another radio station yesterday that shall not be named. I think it was Radio 4. In fact, I can tell you it was Radio 4, because I had to get permission to do it, but uh, I was invited. Pfft, look at that, me being invited at my age. Uh, Steve, I just wanted to say thank you for being there. Well, I wasn't doing anything, actually. I'm fine, actually, Sue. But she says, I've been listening to you for over 30 years. But uh, today I have to be at work extra early, opening up a stage door, not too far from you. And I thought, that'll be nice. Steve can keep me company at silly o'clock. They call it silly o'clock, don't they? But in fact, it's only, it's only seven minutes past five. All the people who are working on breakfast shows are already up 
and they'll be uh, they'll be in this building. We've got so many people in this building in radio. It's because that's what we are. We're in the business of radio, and so there's loads of people. They'll be coming in in their taxis. Taxis will be tuned in to this, and they'll be going. Ah, oh, right, that's the stories he's doing. So James Arthur and his ex-girlfriend reuniting at Nando's. They managed to get. Obviously, got a very good publicity department at Nando's, haven't they? Um, the vets who are now warning about buying trendy flat-faced dogs. I've got no idea what a flat-faced dog is. Is that would be like a pug or something like that? Is that what a flat-faced dog would be? Is this where their noses all become all squashed in and they end up with breathing problems and another thing? That's what I'm assuming it is. I don't, I don't know. So a flat-faced dog, the British Veterinary Association, says the surge in popularity in pugs, bulldogs, French bulldogs and shih tzus have become sought after in the UK despite their health problems. And it's the wrinkled noses because what they end up with is severe breathing problems. Well, my friend has got uh, two French bulldogs and uh, they're lovely. I never thought about breathing problems. It's, is that because they're sort of bred to sort of... Do different. Cause I've just had a thought, actually, and I thought about it when I was talking to Monty Don, because he's had ten dogs in his lifetime. At the moment, they've got, I think in their family, seven. That's with the, that's with the kids' dogs and everything else, and the sheep dogs and, and that sort of thing. And uh, we were talking about the rise in popularity of dogs. And the one thing I don't remember seeing in Victorian times, and in the picture, no Alsatians. You see, you see working dogs. You know, in the Victorian times, dogs that pulled milk carts... You know, little milk carts with a churn on the back, and that would be it. Uh, and dogs that were used for racing. And ladies' dogs, which always appeared to be Pekingese or poodles or something like that. You never saw any Alsatians. And I, it only just occurred to me, you know, where, where Alsatians came from in the great scheme of things. Were they sort of a, a breed that we, we invented and we sort of created? Because that's what, that's what I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, but I just don't remember seeing them in any pictures. No pictures of Alsatian, short hair, long haired. I don't remember seeing any Dachshunds. Let me say, so German Shepherds, 1909. So in the 1850s, they were trying to standardise breeds. There was something called the Phylax Society. Somebody says that dogs should be bred solely for working purposes. So it was, it was Germany, wasn't it, really? Which had uh, <coughs> this sort of working dog. And and this looked like the best of it, a German shepherd. And uh, he was shown a dog, this uh, von uh, Stefanitz was attending a dog show, and he was shown a dog called Hector Linkschein. Hector was the product of a few generations of selective breeding, completely fulfilled what von Stefanitz believed a working dog should be, and so hence that was there, the first German shepherd dog, the first dog added to the society's breed register. And that was in what year? What year was that? No, uh, 1899. Oh, right. Interesting, isn't it? So that was, the, that was the creator of the German Shepherd Dog. Though quite rightly not there for the Victorians. That's why you didn't see it in anything. So it came along a little bit later. I like a Shepherd. My father used to have a, an Alsatian. Shorthead. I can't remember what it was called, but I've seen pictures of it uh, with him. And, uh, and we had um, a Cocker Spaniel called Jasper. who went round the bend. And it had to be put to S L E E P. We don't like to we don't like to say too much. I just remember I came back from school one time and the dog wasn't there. And it took me about five minutes to go, Where's Jasper? And my mother said, Oh, he's actually gone. <laughs> I don't know why we laughed actually. I laughed kind of nervously thinking, Oh my god. And I was I was I was told a story by somebody the other day. We were talking about uh, little boys being sent to prep school. And uh 
I was talking to somebody about it, and he said that his... Because uh, I said I went to prep school. I thought about uh, nine. I was nine years old. And, of course, at nine years old, it's really... It's, it's quite difficult because you're away from your parents, but it makes you quite independent because you're just, it, you, you play for the first week and then you just sort of get into it and you just you kind of get through it. But uh, this particular person I was talking to, who's very well known, said that their brother was sent to prep school at six, six years old, and he couldn't stop crying. And the headmaster had had contact with the parents and said, listen, we don't know what to do. Hopefully he'll actually get out of it. But he was going on and on. Literally, it was day after day after day. He just cried and cried. You know why? And it it, it seems so, so barbaric now. He thought that his parents had just got rid of him and they'd sent him to this school. He didn't know. He He thought they were dead. He thought that his parents had died and somebody had sent him to be in this place where he didn't want to be. Isn't that interesting? And I said, I said, how is he now? He said, well, he's uh, he's okay now. Still a bit, you know, damaged from it because he believed at six years old that his parents had died and somebody had shoved him into this place to stay there for the rest of his life. And it upset him. It was terrible. Uh, I think even Kirsty Alsop questioned the value of sending herself away to school. I think from the age of of eight and people did go and you, you just got through it. I mean, I was away. I think I was probably about nine. You know, you're a little, you're a little person. You don't know what's going on. You, you have, uh, you know, the funny thing is you look back on it and you actually think maybe our parents were right. Perhaps that gave us a good grounding because I can't complain. I've not done too badly. Um, but uh, Kirsty uh, was one of four and she grew up in a place called Inkpen, which I know very well. But she went off to a prep school in Gloucestershire. It's never near where you are because otherwise you might as well stay at home. And uh, you stay there and you sleep there. I can't remember how our clothes got washed. I can't, I can't remember anything like that at all. But I could take you into the dormitory and I could show you now. Uh, her, her boarding school, uh, she was at Beedales, was thirty, nearly £34,000, which was for uh, per year at the age of 14. 34000 Parents had to have a lot of money. But if you were in the forces, you got a discount. You got a discount. So uh, she says, what I believe is that every child... Is different, which of course they are, because some I can remember in our on our dormitories, and I think there would have been one, two, three, four, probably about eight boys in a dormitory, probably about eight, no, no, certainly no more than than ten, no more than ten at all. And you would hear at night if there were new boys there, you'd hear snuffling, you know, like that kind of thing, because they were away from home, and matron was supposed to be the person that the kids looked up to. But, I mean, you know, you've got at least 30 or 40 boarders there. Not every boarder. You had kids who were day day people who didn't stay. They went home. And the reason I couldn't is, is my parents lived miles away, 400 miles away. So there was no chance. But talking about it to other people, and I've done it on a couple of interviews recently. It's very interesting. We all seem to have very similar experiences. I don't think anybody particularly liked it. <laughs> or, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I really don't. I think you actually get more... More one-to-one education. Definitely more, you know, more one-to-one. Because we only had classes. I think we didn't have anybody more than uh, 16 in a class. Whereas when I went to secondary modern, because I was useless, uh, 36 we had in a class. Well, you kind of lost yourself there. Paul Paul Cooper reckons, he said, it's prep school, it's like the workhouse. Well, it, it was because you're little children. I mean, barring the fact you weren't on a treadmill... 
it, you were little children away from home. You had to get up in the morning. You woke up on the bell. Matron would stand there with a the bell and go, da-ding, da-ding, da-ding. And everybody would have to bounce out of bed like, you know, you really wanted to. Lights out, I think, was probably around eight o'clock. And then you'd all stand in line in the bathroom, wash your face and hands, baths once a week. They had, I think we had four baths in each bathroom. So you just little boys, you just sort of trooped and you got into the bath and that was it. And you just sat there and washed yourself. Then you got out and then the next boy got in. So woe betide you if you were the last one in. You were sitting in everybody else's dirt. But I don't know if it was good. We did French, Latin. Why? I can't imagine. Unless you're going to be a chemist or a botanist. I don't think of any reason for doing Latin. And uh, French, we had a, a man called Mr Capernes. It's all, funny the things you remember. Mr Capernes, I couldn't tell you the name of any other of them. We had a Miss Sultan and Miss Pepper. And one of them was sort of fairly robust, and the other one wasn't. And the headmaster was called Mr. Pedley. It's funny, you, you remember these stupid things, don't you? Certain things, as you get older, it's like, you know, when you, you, you had the end of Goodbye Mr. Chips, and because his wife had been killed in an air raid, and so they're all sitting round his bed as he's, he's in his last throes of life, and two of the headmasters are, are talking and saying, oh, it's awful he, that they never had any children. And he went, what, what, what's that? Didn't have any children? Of course we did. Hundreds, hundreds, and all boys. And then he died. And that was it, because, you know, if you worked in one of those sort of schools, the, the kids knew who you were. If, you, if we bumped into one of our schoolmasters, you had to raise your cap in those days. I mean, nowadays you don't even see kids with caps on, unless you come to, you know, some of the posh schools in London or, you know, up and down the country, where people are taught to be polite. You're supposed to, supposed to be polite to your elders. All I cared about was what we were having for breakfast and being in the school orchestra and reading in the library. And Sunday night, you had to write a letter home to your parents. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Matt Fry, new to Saturday mornings from 10 on LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, Matt Fry, he's going to be with Nick this morning doing the newspapers and uh, no doubt previewing his uh, first show this weekend. Uh, apparently, according to Lynn... Says in America, hot dogs are beef, not pork. Are hot dogs pork here? I didn't think they were pork. Are they? Oh right. I've got beef, um, beef hot dogs. I've got beef hot dogs at home. So at least burgers and hot dogs go together. I can't believe that somebody's actually patented cutting down a burger in the middle and putting a sausage in the middle of it with a sort of a special sort of bun, which has been patented since about two thousand and nine. Seems slightly odd, doesn't it? Really, but uh, I suppose uh, people like that kind of thing. Uh, Ian says, I thought The Good Life was brilliant with Richard Bryars. Yes, I thought it was brilliant too. I loved it. Although we were all criticising, weren't we, at the end, Felicity Kendall, because she didn't have any comment when people died. We weren't sure what the relationship was between two people. Because people see people on the television, you know, working hand in hand, and you automatically assume that they get on socially. Well, it doesn't work like that. It, re it really doesn't work like that. I, I know it seems very strange. You would think that if you spend a lot of time together with somebody that you'd want to go home and go out for drinks with them, but they don't. They, they come together for, for, for sort of work-wise. You know, I think the odd exceptions would be Ant and Deck. I think Ant and Deck, because they live practically, you know, in each other's pockets, they live practically next door to each other. I mean, the other week, do you remember we talked about R2-D2 and C-3PO, who really didn't get on with each other. They really didn't get on. And I think um, C-3PO, who was Anthony Daniels, uh, was quite stuck up about the whole thing. It was it was just all a bit bizarre, and and I think I can't remember if he had a comment about R two D two dying. 
I don't think he did, did he, really? And that's sad. That always saddens me that people are like that. But then I've, I've, I've noticed it, and it's mainly television and comedians. I think, actually, even the great Morecambe and Wise, they didn't socialise that much. They had their own life because they worked together on stage. Why would you want to live in each other's pockets? They had, to, they had their own lives to... To uh, to lead, um, I must. I'll mention that a little bit. Sorry, I'm just, something I have to to mention there. Uh, interesting about Paul Hollywood sneaking out for for talks. I don't think there's any sneaking at all. Somebody happened to be standing over the road and went, "Oh look, Paul Hollywood going to Channel Four. Um, he wouldn't be going into Channel Four anyway for these talks. He'd be going to the offices of the production company. They'd be sort of looking at it, wouldn't they? I would have thought so. so that's why I'm I'm not totally in uh, sort of believing the story. Not not totally believing it. Worse than the Housewives of Cheshire's. The old baggages, says Jane. Now Sam Fahir's baby diaries. Oh, who gives a toss about Sam Fahir's? You know, Sam Fahir's has baby. Still not married, love. Still not married. And, of course, we did see the rather creepy boyfriend on some programme. I'm really not interested. What sort of people tune in to watch somebody who can barely string words together holding a baby? I mean, I'm really not interested. I'm just so excited to show you my baby. And all she does is go on holiday. I don't really know what they do, actually. They sort of turned up both of them. Luckily, she's not really on the uh, the television at all. Uh, yes, did anybody miss what happened at the Bexley School? Seven out of the hundred uh, rioters taken in by Scotland Yard. I think there's more been taken in now. I think they found some more. One was a 24-year-old woman. Obviously can't have been a school child, can she? I never understand riots. I ser- I'm sure it's just fuelled by this, this sort of knock-on effect. You know, it's like, da-da-da-da, somebody said this, somebody said that. And then they go, oh, it's inter-schools fighting and rival gangs. Gangs, I thought. Gangs who do things like that. But anyway, uh, people will be expelled. I forgot to mention the story the other day, and I can't remember the name of the school now. It's where they allege that the pupils saw a squirrel underneath the window and they dropped a brick on it. And I couldn't quite work that one out at all. And they were, they were taken in by the, uh, the headmaster and given a stern talking to. I'd have had them expelled. I've had them expelled. I'm becoming quite uh, quite passionate about these sort of things nowadays. I don't I don't mean to be passionate about it. I'm just more interested into how you could ever get to that stage where you'd want to do something like that. It's just it's just horrible, isn't it? Uh, the fraudster. Yes, here he is. He siphoned uh, from firms' bank accounts in a record. His name is uh, Fizan Chowdhury. Well, Fizan Chowdhury obviously enjoys prison food because we've just sent him to prison for 11 years. However, the Lloyds insiders were Amy and Emma Daramola, a right pair of old tarts if you look at the picture of them. They were paid for bank data, which they happily handed over. But uh, they'd be given suspended sentences. Uh, Fizan Hamid Chowdhury described himself as king and lived like one, jetting off around the globe to party with pop stars, dripping in gold jewellery. He posed as a hotshot music producer, which, of course, he wasn't, and a property developer. He had Bentleys and Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis and two beloved Porsches, and he went to Dubai and all the rest of it. He was basically just another fraudster who's now in prison for 11 years. Amazing, isn't it, really? How, I mean, how they actually got away with it is, is fairly simple. What he did, they used this um, fishing tactic after getting details of company accounts from bank staff, like sisters Amy and Emma, otherwise known as those two old bent tarts. Anyway, Chowdhury then phoned businesses, claiming to be from their bank, saying security on the accounts had been compromised. Sound familiar? I thought you would think so. He got internet bank security details and passwords for employees and emptied their accounts in minutes, blocking phone lines with software to stop contact with the real bank. Stolen funds were moved to his bank account at the touch of a button. It's like ghosts all over again. 
<coughs> where Rita May goes in there and transfers £4 million out of an account that some crooked bloke was trying to hang on to, and then, of course, he can't find it. Anyway, the cash was withdrawn by money mules and moved through transfer exchanges from London to Pakistan and elsewhere. The biggest raid saw £2.2 million taken from a solicitor's firm in minutes. And uh, legitimate bank phone numbers provided by corrupt bank staff were used to confuse victims. The gang, said to be more sophisticated than most terrorist rings, used burner mobile phones ditched every 24 hours. But uh, 11 years in prison, and it'll all be taken back. So he'll come out to nothing at all. However, my favourite, favourite story in the paper today is uh, two people. And there's a lady, a disabled lady. She's turned to social media for revenge. She needs your help. Um, she was on a train, a packed train. Her name's Cat Lee, 43. And uh, she was forced to stand for more than an hour while these two stupid men sat in her seats. They were travelling London King's Cross to Skipton, 1803. Charming fellows took the reserved seats from, uh, from Rach and I. As a disabled passenger, I stated why I needed my reserved seat. They didn't budge. And so she took a picture of them. And the Daily Mail have printed them today. They're going to be delighted because they are disgusting. Disgusting people. And uh, one of the men in the picture last night contacted Mail Online but didn't wish to be named. Oh, darling, you will be. Of course you will be. Uh, be loads of Your friends will be phoning up saying, I'll tell you exactly who that is. And they sat there and they refused to give up their, their seat for a woman. And especially a woman whose seat they were sitting in. That was the thing. The father of one of the men said his son would never have behaved in that way. Well, he did, Sugar Puff. He did. That's what he was doing. He was sitting there, refused to get up. A Virgin train spokesman said, should a passenger find their seat unavailable, then the train guard should be made aware. However, ultimately, they can't force somebody out, so they would have to find an alternative seat for the passenger. Oh, it's outrageous, isn't it? Fancy men I'm sorry, I'm disabled. Well, sod off, we're not moving, are we? And then he phoned up. I don't want to be identified. Well, they've got your picture in the paper, love, today. I'm sure the company you work for would be delighted. Like the, uh, the bent one the other day who took the blow-up doll to ground zero. You know, he was named and shamed. Did he get married on Saturday? I'm surprised, actually. I wanted to turn up with loads of blow-up dolls and just sort of stand there with them and go, Happy now. Happy now. Uh, Paul Hollywood and the picture of him sneaking into talks with Channel 4. I don't really know how it is, Sneak. It just looks like he's crossing a road. I couldn't tell whether he's at Channel 4 or anywhere else. And riots erupting in America after police kill yet another black man. Do you remember the one the other day? He was uh, a minister and shot dead. He didn't have any guns or anything at all. There was no, no logical reason for it. But now out in Charlotte, North Carolina, police were in full riot gear. It's just got to stop. It's, it's getting... Really getting very, very bad out there. Police seem to shoot indiscriminately. Uh, Malcolm says, I heard that the uh, the duo played Steptoe and Son practically hated each other. I don't know, actually. They're both completely different. One was uh, one was the son, and the other one was uh, was the old man. You dirty old man. Who was gay as a goose. And that's what made it quite funny, actually. I, th- I thought it was quite sweet. I quite liked Steptoe and Son, but it was of its time. Of its time. You know, I'm not saying that a programme like that would work now, but of its time, I thought it was lovely. And they made two films. There were two films made, and they were, they were well worth watching. If you get the opportunity to get them, get them out, because it, you hear the theme tune, blung, 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 played with an orchestra. And there's all sorts of famous people in it. One half of Hinge and Brackett, lots of those big names, uh, British actors at the time. Really, really good. You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
Morning, everybody. Thursday, 22nd of September. Ever nearer Christmas? Ever nearer Christmas, yes. You should start thinking about it. I know you don't want to, but uh, you might have to. This is a sad story. This is a very odd story. As usual, somebody cocks up and somebody has to apologise in the end. This is uh, a great-grandfather called Leslie Brown. Leslie Brown is 85. He's an RAF veteran. And uh, he goes into this health centre uh, for blood tests. Inside the health centre is a surgery. Anyway, as he came outside, he lost his footing... Uh, His son, Matthew, was waiting for him. He hit his head on the pavement and cut his knee and arms. In shock, you know, because it's 85, you fall over, it's a bit dangerous. He was helped back into Coleman Street Health Centre in Alverston in Derby. Nurses at the surgery also came to his aid and sat him down to a chair, in a chair. But a doctor refused to examine him and he wasn't even given a plaster for his hand because he wasn't a full-time registered patient at the surgery. I mean, it's positively shocking. Just remember the place, Coleman Street Health Centre in Alverston. Anyway, his son then had to drive his frail father home before taking him to see his regular GP two miles from where he suffered the fall this month for a checkup. Yesterday, Mr Brown, a father of four who lives with Matthew and his wife Margaret in Derby, said he couldn't understand why he wasn't helped by the doctor at the surgery. The former REF non-commissioned officer and Rolls-Royce worker, who has seven grandchildren, said, I left the surgery and just lost my footing. Uh, I was quite shaken. Um, He described how staff saw him, helped him up and told him to go inside. I was in a lot of pain and shock and and I thought I was going to be helped, but they said they couldn't because I wasn't registered with the GP. I thought they'd have looked at me. All I wanted was really to have a couple of plasters. Would have been the decent thing to do. Anyway, a spokesman for Coleman Street Health Centre said, We're very sorry for the distress caused to Mr Brown and his family. There are trained first aiders in the building who've attended to people on previous occasions who've come to the centre with a fall nearby. We regret this didn't happen for Mr Brown. We'll be strengthening our accident protocol as a result. Honestly, what a po-face old bag that must have been who issued that one. I mean, you know, this this bloke... I mean, it, it doesn't matter who he is. It, it really doesn't matter. It's the fact that the doctor went, No, you're not registered with me. I'm not helping you. You know, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Anyway, nasty people there. Nasty people. Come on, Coleman Street. You should, you know, give yourselves a kick up the rear end. He's 85. Just because he's not on your books. So you have any compassion? thought that was the whole idea. They're supposed to be compassionate. If I fell down outside a, a strange place, I would expect people to help me. I'll have to make sure now I don't fall down anywhere. <laughs> Certainly not anywhere near that one. That would not be good. More on the story that we, we did the other day on the programme, because I was so fascinated by it, I didn't quite understand... That over in Welsh Wales, and I mentioned this to James O'Brien's producer, they've got gangsters. Gangsters, because the family of Gareth Bale's fiancée have been targeted in a suspected gangland vendetta. Um, It turns out that uh, his bride-to-be, who's called Emma Rees-Jones, obviously comes from one of those sort of families, because uh, there's been arson attacks on her aunts and grandparents. Uh, A feud is thought to have broken out after the disappearance, wait for this of a suitcase of cash from the Cardiff home of her elderly grandparents, Eva and John McMurray. Yobs threw bricks through their downstairs windows. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? And torched their four-by-four before neighbours raised the alarm. A second vehicle belonging to their son was covered in petrol, but not set ablaze. Anyway, the pair, who are 84 and 79, have gone into hiding. Uh, I see that uh, Gareth Bale's fiance. 
Emma Rees-Jones's father, Martin, is in prison for six years for money laundering, so obviously comes from a real class family. Anyway, it's understood that Miss Rees-Jones's cousin, a glamour model who goes by the name of Epiphany, <laughs> was staying with the elderly couple and has since fled the property. So, uh, petrol's been poured through letterboxes. I mean, it's become quite vindictive here. It's all very worrying anyway. And so we'll have to... Uh, I think, actually, poor old Gareth Bale's clean-cut image is going to be tarnished somewhat by this, because quite clearly they're one of those wrongen families. And um, the father, Martin, was jailed for six years for money laundering. He was extradited to America from Spain, where he'd been running a multi-million pound international share fraud scheme. Oh, dear, Gareth. Oh, dear. You need to get yourself out of this family as quickly as possible. They're not, they're not right people. And, um, you know, with, with cars being torched... And uh, then somebody said she'd been a- arrested for threatening to kill her sister. And then she said, my sister's... A-, and so it goes on. They're just not really very nice. Not very, really, very nice. If people are starting to set fire to cars in somebody's driveway, they're quite clearly not above running people over. Gareth, get out. Quick as possible. Not your sort of place, matey. Not your sort of place at all. She's obviously a wrong'un. Uh, Steve, the medical centre should be ashamed. Well, it is wrong. It is wrong. <coughs> I-, I agree with you. Uh, they sound very stupid. I shall avoid it, says Anna. They're just, I mean, you know, all they had to use was common sense. Not difficult, is it? Somebody falls down outside. I would expect it for any of you. I would expect it for any of you. If you fell down outside of surgery, I'd expect somebody to come out. Not sort of go, oh, you need to call 999. I would expect them to come out and help you. I thought that's what the whole idea of it was. It's just it's just wrong, isn't it? Where you get somebody going, no, no. Sorry, we're having nothing to do with that one. I tell you, still trying to hawk herself around anywhere. This is uh, Victoria Hervey. Only a lady, because her mother married somebody. She was a secretary, and so she sort of touted her weary carcass all over the place. And, uh, and has now come back. I mean, all she, all she did was just... Uh, she was, she's very vacuous, very vacuous. And she says, I grew up in the south of France, so I have a much more international approach. Women in London are too conservative and don't have the courage to wear sexy outfits. It just look a little bit cheap, actually, Victoria. But there again, I don't think you ever looked anything else but. She says, it's empowering to dress provocatively. A bit desperate, isn't it, really? She turns 40 next month. She's the daughter of the sixth Marquess of Bristol, who married her mother, and hence they got the title. There's no sort of... It doesn't run in the family. There's no lineage or anything like that. She's got a sister, hasn't she, as well? They both look equally... You know, and to dress like this at the age of 40, I just feel immensely sorry for you. That's the only way you can get coverage, is it? You poor old soul, honestly. Most people would be going, who is she? And I go, don't worry, she's nobody. 20 minutes to six, just in case you were worrying about the time for this morning. And I don't want you to worry about the time, because it's not not absolutely necessary. Um, She's unleashed hell. Brad wants to fight for the... It's every paper. Every single paper. And now Jennifer Aniston's had to say, listen, I'm not splitting. I'm not splitting from my husband. She obviously is, is feeling fairly happy about the whole thing. And we just sort of watch it from the outside, don't we, thinking they've got £300 million. They've both been married quite a few times. I think she's three times. I mean, she must be a right old handful to live with. And he's been married twice. And at the end of the day, they, uh, they have a marriage that's been going wrong for ages and ages and ages. This isn't something new. This could have been, you know, over 12 years over 12 years, this actually could have been the kind of thing that, you know, people from the, from the inside who are with them go, yes, I know exactly what, what's going wrong here. Uh, temporary Parliament must be out of London. You know when they close down Parliament because they need all this money spending on it before the thing falls to pieces? And I've thought of a great place to send them to. Basingstoke. I thought if we send Parliament to Basingstoke, luckily they can disappear on one of the many roundabouts out there and we don't need to worry about Parliament ever again. Because this 
And I think it's going to cost, did they say something like a billion pounds? They were coming up with some ludicrous amount of money. I hope they got different um, different quotes in. But I suspect it'll all be, you know, people go, oh, no, no well, I know a company that does it. They, they do all sorts of things here. Because you're, you're trying to restore a, biz, a, a building that's hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of years old. And I, I do like it, actually. I do like it. But I'm not particularly bothered about where they are. I don't care whether they stay there or whether they go to, uh, to somewhere else. But I do think Basingstoke would be, uh, would be a good place, actually. Wilfred Bramble, who played the old man in Steptoe, appears in the film Holiday on the Buses as a gigolo. You wouldn't think it was the same person. I know. He was, he was one of those people who played old, wasn't he? It was like, who was the one in, um, uh, in Dad's Army who played the butcher? They don't like it up, they don't. Who was him? Was it? That was Clive Dunn. He's still going, I think, isn't he? Oh, is it? Oh, did he die? Oh. Oh, sorry about that. But, I mean, he, he played old when he wasn't old. Because he, he, he did a song, I think, with the St. Winifred School Choir. Or perhaps he didn't. Called Grandad. Grandad, we love you. And it was really quite stomach-churning. But uh, it, was, it was quite cute. The kids, kids were very cute. Ian Lavender. Is he the only one left? Really? We've lost all of them, have we? Bill Pertwee go. Bill Pertwee went. He seemed to be surviving for ages. I used to bump into Bill Pertwee down at the CAA because he was a, a member down there. So Ian Lavender, the only one that... Good Lord, honestly. Oh, that makes it even more poignant, doesn't it? When you look back at all these series. I was watching um, some YouTube stuff. I was watching Ray Davis of the Kinks singing at Glastonbury. And, uh, and then I was watching Shirley Bassey singing at Glastonbury, where Glastonbury became fairly camp for, for a short time. Uh, then I watched Dolly Parton. I wasn't sure if she was singing or lip-syncing. I don't know what she was doing at all. But Ray Davis was very poignant. And then I watched the Queen's Silver Jubilee Party, which had everybody on it, including Paul McCartney. Looking a lot, He seemed to have aged very quickly overnight, Paul McCartney. Because uh, he's, he's fairly ancient now. But he was singing Hey Jude, and the, the cast list on stage was just phenomenal. There was just, just everybody on there, and I, I, I thought it was great. Nice, nice bit of nostalgia. Interesting. Basingstoke, how about Slough, says Dean. Oh, no. Slough, I mean, Slough is, is a ghastly, horrible place, as you're well known. Uh, but, uh, no, I think if we're sending them, Basingstoke's a bit, bit further out. Let's send Parliament further out. Uh, is it 4.2 billion? Is that what they're saying? To spend on... Good God! Can't they? I mean, the must. I mean, couldn't we all club together and do it as part of a Nick Knowles show? Nick Knowles could go in there and he could get people to donate their services for free, and we could save four point two billion, and then we could put it to something else, like you know, permanent ice cream vans outside here in the morning and a burger van or something. But uh, I mean, you should get it to. Or Annika Rice could get some people together. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm, I'll have a word with Nick Knowles and say, listen, how's the Parliament needs doing? I mean, if, I remember when uh, Ground Force with Alan Titchmarsh and. Charlie, get your boobs out, Dimmock. Uh, they went off to do um, Nelson Mandela's garden. Oh, it's lovely. Thank you. Very lovely. You don't, you don't have the faintest idea who they were. Not a clue. Uh, We've done the garden for you, sir, and all this kind of thing. I thought it was great. I loved the programme. I was I was big big fan. Big fan of Ground Force. We liked Tommy Walsh and Tommy's sidekick, who was Irish, but I can't remember what his name was. And Alan Titchmarsh, because we just like Alan Titchmarsh. And uh, Charlie Dimmock, because she never wore a bra. And that's, that's what she became famous for. Now, of course, they're practically down by her knees, poor soul. It's all terribly embarrassing. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what she does now. I can't remember. Uh, Steve, I thought if you paid national insurance and tax, you're entitled to the NHS service. 
says Jay Patel in Harrow. This doctor needs to be struck off. Well, I don't. I think it's a little bit dramatic to say struck off. I do think that somebody at the surgery needs their rear end kicked very hard to say, listen, an old man falls down outside. Where's your compassion? Where's your compassion? I can remember going into a surgery ages ago. It was my surgery, actually, and they had somebody new on the front desk who I didn't know and started quizzing me about my illness. I thought, I have no intention of discussing my illness with you. I just need to see a doctor. Well, is it important? Well, I think it's important. I think it's important, yes. I'm a diabetic. Oh, God, I must arrange my uh, flu jab. But I can't, oh, I can't have it yet, can I? <gasps> oh, dear, as soon as this cold goes, then I can have the flu jab and I'll be feeling a lot better about, uh, about life. Uh, lovely meal last night. Went to Jackson Rye in Richmond. With Winnie and Lindsley. Very nice. Recommend planning out. I don't even know where it is, little Julie. Where is Jackson Rye? Do tell. Do tell, please. And um, another one here. Uh, Michael reckons they're bound by law to help somebody. I don't... I mean, I know they've got the patient's charter, but I don't... I'm not sure if they are, but I just think they could have been a bit more compassionate. I really do. I mean, I, I just find it appalling that an 85-year-old man uh, falls down. Oh, no, the, the one from Dad's Army who's still alive is the vicar. The vicar's still going. He used to eat in uh, in Joe Allen's. I can't I can't do his accent. I can't do his voice, which is very embarrassing. But yeah, he's still going. The vicar. I'm pretty certain. I think the verger went. The vicar's still going, isn't he? I'm I'm pretty certain. He used to um, eat with uh, Pam Candell in Joe Allen's, who played the the butcher's love interest. The vicar's still going. How old is he? He's eighty five, and his name is. Frank Williams, 85, Frank. There's just him and Ian Lavender. And of, of the soldiers, only Ian Lavender. Oh, I can't believe they've all gone. It's awful, isn't it? I've got, a, I've got a, an original theatre poster of Arnold Ridley's The Ghost Train. Arnold Ridley, the one who wanted to go to the toilet all the time and had a sister called Sissy. And that was all we remember. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Can you believe that Arthur Lowe and John Lemessurier have been dead for, for 30 years? 30, it doesn't seem possible, does it? Both from Dad's Army. They should have had the role reversal. The role that Arthur had was going to go to John Lemessure, and then luckily they sort of flipped it round. All I remember is that Arthur Lowe's wife turned up for filming all the time. She was very much sort of hands-on. Very much hands-on, but uh, be good. Uh, Steve, please do not send Parliament to Basingstoke. Why not the ex-capital? Winchester. By the way, Charlie Dimmock is on daytime television garden show now. Still no bra and that dreadful hair, and she's put on a lot of weight. Oh, God, I think we've all put on a lot of weight over the years. Is she still not wearing a bra? That was the selling point of the programme. I remember thinking, how odd. And so people used to like it when she used to lean over. She used to put in water features. Every time she put in a water feature, I headed for the bathroom. There was something about running water. You'd be sitting there going, oh, don't do the running water thing again, please. I need to go to toilet. So, in fact, I saw very little of Charlie Dimmock and her, her braless adventures out in the garden. Because every time they sort of, they, they, they dug this uh, hole or they put a thing in and they put some stones around it and then the water would start. And I go, oh, God, toilet again. I'm strangely affected by that. Strangely affected. Apparently, says David in Valance Road... Home of the Craze. I thought they've renamed... There isn't a Valance Road, is there, anymore? It's been renamed. They've knocked down most of it. I thought most of Valance Road was knocked down. They put a, a, Some road went straight through the middle of it, and uh, they knocked down, because I said before that if the Craze house in Valance Road had still been there, that would have been a, a sort of a museum. 
be lovely if you, if you, I mean, I know it seems awful, but it, because it was, it was of the generation, it was of the, uh, the 40s and the 50s, then I think that would have been, you could go in there if they'd left it completely untouched. Occasionally, you find a house that has been untouched for years and years, and that would be it. But Valance Road, I think, went a long time. I think it's been renamed as well. I don't even think it's called. Is there a Valance Road in the East End? I'm pretty certain there's not. Because I remember I, I've driven past it before and or, somebody said that was Valance Road there and they've renamed it I suppose to, to stop people going there Valance Road they're born in Steen Street in Hoxton the twins moved to Valance Road I think it was 178 the actual house no longer exists but uh, to see the childhood home from the movie head to Canrobert Street on the other side of the Bethnal Green Road so that's it. So that's so it's it's gone. So the filming took place there. Teesdale Street, which runs parallel to Can Rober, also features. So uh, the the uh, Valance Road House gone. Blind Beggar's still there, the Whitechapel Pub, and uh, they now serve up posh hot dogs. They've got a water feature. I wish they'd stop talking about water features. It drives me mad. But uh, and apparently you can still see the bullet holes in the wall. They've covered over with uh, plastic now, but you could still see them. The, the amount of people who, who claim to have been there. That's the blind beggar. Uh, Pellicci's Cafe is apparently untouched. It, it, it was a favourite haunt of the craze. Apparently it's not changed in, in donkey's years. Esmeraldo's Barn. I don't know why we're mentioning the craze this morning. But uh, that was owned by the craze from 1960 until it closed in 63. Uh, the site is now home to the Barclay, a five-star hotel. And it's very interesting because the craze were so dumb that they knew nothing about gambling. Whereas had they been clever, they could have made a fortune out of it, but they still operated on on extortion and going around and collecting money from people. But everybody said that they didn't know enough about gambling. The Americans were far more ahead of it. But isn't it funny to think that the, uh, the Knightsbridge Club, Esmeralda's Bar... I never even knew what it looked like. But the Barclay, a five-star hotel. Bow Street Magistrates, still there, but it's all, it's all closed up, isn't it, I think, now? It's been tipped for, for redevelopment. Closed in 2006. Do you know who was, who was held at the, at the Tower of London? The Twins. 1952. I've forgotten how many people who'd been held there, including, uh, I think, uh, Rudolf Hess, Samuel Pepys and Guy Fawkes. I don't know why we do Guy Fawkes like that. And um, there's also the Royal Oak. I don't remember the Royal Oak. It featured in Guy Ritchie's film Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Repton Boys Club was very famous. Very famous. That was the, uh, the... It's been running since about 1884. Audley Harrison, John H. Stracey and Darren Barker learnt their trade there. It was for young lads growing up in the East End who wanted to be boxers. And the craze, of course, all their sort of early pictures, oh, yeah, a bit old, you know, do a bit of boxing and all that kind of stuff. Which, if truth be known, they were probably absolute rubbish. Uh, the Carpenter's Arms is a pub in Cheshire Street, purchased by the boys as a gift for their mother, Violet. She was mad as a broomstick. She When she died... I can remember very well the pictures of the craze going to the funeral. And they had to take, was it Reggie, out of prison. And they found the biggest police officer to go with him. So it made Reggie look really small. And there's a picture, a very famous picture of him attending the funeral. And I think there were various, uh, various well-known people who attended the funeral at the time. Uh, Margaret Street was the speakeasy club. Laurie O'Leary, a lifelong friend of the Craves, became manager in 68. And Pink Floyd performed there. The Beatles, David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix. Turner's Old Star may not have been visited by the Twins, but it does feature in the, in the film. And the Ivy House also features in Legend. It's interesting, isn't it, that when you sort of look back, I mean, Wilton's Music Hall, there, now there's a place you've got to go to. 
That was the, the last intact survivor of the grand musical era. Appears in the film The Craze. Still offers live shows and boasts a very fine mahogany bar. That's sort of a secret place in London. I went there and uh, we put pictures up on... I don't know if they're still there, actually. But I remember when we walked in, a rat ran across right in front of us by the staircase. Freaked me out completely. But, uh, yeah, Wilton's musical, very interesting. And um, St Matthew's Church, the funeral service for both the boys, was held at the 18th century church on Hereford Street. There you go, your quick, your quick guide to London. Somebody says Valence Road is still there. We're not sure it... The road is still there, but the house has long since gone. I think because they, they put a road straight through the middle of it, so that, uh, that came down. Because otherwise, I suppose, you would end up with people going there and it would turn into a, into a bit of a shrine for sort of lunatics, I should imagine. Uh, Steve, I would pay a lot of money to charity if you could do all your show in the voices of David Beckham and Widdicombe and the psychic... Yes. <laughs> I don't think, actually, we'd get away with that. Well, actually, we probably might get away with that one. That could be quite... The only time we ever do David Beckham is when we, um, it's when we sort of have him and Victoria and she's borrowing money from his piggy bank to sort of uh, to prop up her uh, company. And Anne Widdicombe, the only, the only line we know about Anne Widdicombe is when she was on... Well, uh, there were two. One, she went on Celebrity Fat Club where they wanted to put a T-shirt on. But, I mean, to be honest with you, sewing two tents together at the time wasn't really... Uh, and she didn't really go, go for that idea. She wanted the money and she wanted the thing. But, again, she obviously thought she was still somebody. But, but the best one was when Louis Theroux went round to her house. She likes cats. She lives way down in a little close. She's obviously not made as much money as I thought. But uh, she's down in Kent, isn't she, somewhere? And because uh, she went off with Len Goodman one day. He went and picked her up in the car. And I remember thinking, oh, imagine having Anne Widdicombe as your next-door neighbour. You know, she couldn't see over the fence. That'd be quite, she had to put a little box there. Going, Hello? Anyway, and so Louis Theroux went into the house, the old one, and said, um, can we go and have a look round your bedroom now? No, you can't! She had this little vibrato in her voice, and she didn't uh, want anybody seeing the bedroom. Well, I always thought that would be the interesting thing, isn't it? Let's have a look at the side drawer. Ooh, hello. And, um, and then she went on a cruise with Louis Theroux as well, and her mother... And Louis Theroux was being quite, quite naughty and chatting to them. I was saying, oh, about so-and-so, so And Anne Widdicombe came in and said, Mother, I've told you, don't talk to him. She was very, very stern, very cross, but quite funny at the same time. Uh, 84850, you can send Parliament up to Blackpool, says Alan. What a brilliant idea. In fact, actually, could we send half the cast of Made in Chelsea and Towie up to Blackpool, you know, for the winter? Winter season, I think, which would be quite nice. Uh, I must mention uh, a little lad, actually, called Cameron. Cameron is 10, and he suffers from leukaemia. And the charity that his mum and dad have been supported by is part of Make Some Noise here. And in fact, he's got a lovely, uh, a lovely picture, and he did his first interview with, uh, with Jenny Faulkner. He's a very brave and strong little boy, and uh, Patsy has sent me a, a picture, and it's got... Uh, uh, Jenny there, gorgeous little boy, very grateful to the Royal Marsden and their wonderful team. So Cameron, thumbs up, hope you enjoyed your experience, because uh, it is an experience, isn't it? Ten years old, wow, you've lived probably more in your ten years than many of us have lived in our, <coughs> well in my case, quite a, quite, quite a, few, quite a few more years. And uh, she says, I'm very thrilled that your audience figures are going from strength to strength. So there you go. Yes, we're very pleased with that as well. News at six o'clock is coming up here on uh, LBC. Uh, the swindler who drove off with a huge bill, but he's now got to cough up £130,000. Otherwise, he's going to spend a lot more time in prison, which is quite good. Tallest boy in the world. He's 19. He's seven foot eight. You might go, oh, brilliant. Believe you me, the problems are being seven foot eight. Doorways, banging your head, shoes, trousers, 
pants, socks, everything, you name it. I wouldn't like to imagine how big his feet are, about size 23, I think, or something absolutely ludicrous. Terrible. Uh, it gets ugly. Brad's going for custody of the kids. The two yobs who carjacked a disabled lady vicar have been locked up. 11 years for the gang leader of a cyber gang. And uh, the vets say, don't buy trendy flat-faced dogs. It's cruel. Oh, it's LBC. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Apparently, the economy keeps on booming. According to the Express this morning, a triple dose of joy after the EU exit vote. Misery, of course, in the Brad and Angelina going to war over the custody of the children. I don't know how they're going to split that one up. I mean, that's ridiculous. They've got six. Six children. What do they say? You know, you can have them for half of the year. It goes back to that Madonna and Guy Ritchie thing where she goes to court and the court basically slaps her on the back of the legs and says, you two need to grow up. You know, whereas, uh, of course, the poor kid goes, I just want to stay with my dad. Madonna goes, you're coming to live with me. And he goes, I'm staying with my dad. Where is he? He's with his dad. So that's uh, that's one one happy child, I should imagine. Liam Payne's very upset at being away from Cheryl. He's posted gushing messages. You have to put it down to the fact that he is only a child and he doesn't really understand it. You know, as in the case of poor old Brooklyn Beckham, who doesn't have a girlfriend at the moment, but he does have a skateboard and he doesn't have any friends. So he just sort of trundles around by himself. We don't know if they go to school. I still keep asking the question, which school do the Beckham children go to? Do they go to school? Are they being schooled? Why have we got no pictures of them with their satchels? We've got pictures of them doing everything else, you know, proving what marvellously talented family they are. The only one who appears not to be talented is Romeo. Because he wasn't mentioned by Vic the other day. A bit disappointing. And I suppose we can't wait for Brooklyn to get his first tattoo. Yippee! Whoopee! Just to prove that he's really a man and following in the footsteps of his father. So perhaps he's drinking whiskey as well at the same time. Um, the burger and the hot dog together has been uh, patented in America. They think it's a brilliant idea. Can't quite see it myself. And it is just a burger cut down the middle with a hot dog lying in the middle of it, with a with a bun attached to it, and I don't I don't really know why people haven't thought of that before. Because most of the restaurants in America, if you've ever watched the Food Channel, seem to be. Le- I mean, I've never seen burgers the size of them. Some of these things they say, if you can eat all of this, you don't have to pay for it, and it'll be a burger about three foot tall. Or they've got, you know, I've never seen mountains of food. They had this man. I think I think the program is called Man versus Food, and he goes around to all these restaurants. And he never criticised anything. It's just basically a free plug programme, so he can obviously get some free food. And he goes in the kitchen and they make their signature dish, whatever. It's generally fried or grilled or something like that. And they soak this and then they do the ribs in this. And he just stands there eating it. And I just want him to be critical and go, this is absolute rubbish. This is rubbish. Small wonder we're a nation of fatties. And, um, And he will eat these huge meals. And everybody else seems to want to eat them. I'm thinking, this can't be good, can it? It can't be good. I mean, the Americans do have more fast food. Generally, they send it to us and we get all carried away with it. And look at the problem that we've got. We've got huge problems with things like that. And it's going to get worse. We can have more diabetics. I don't know. I can't remember what the ratio is in America of diabetes because they don't talk about diabetes in America in the way that we talk about it here. I've never been to America and seen anything on the news about, oh, you know, the, because the amount of fast food places, they must have a huge problem with diabetes. Absolutely. What I can't understand is every time I meet another diabetic who injects, nobody's ever got the same insulin that I've got. Nobody. Every time I say, which insulin are you on? And they show me their insulin. I go, well, it doesn't look anything like my one. So uh, I get quite upset, actually, about things like that. I must be due another big blood test very shortly. Uh, Anyway, um, the Paul Hollywood saga is the programme going to Channel 4. Yes, 
Is Paul Hollywood going with it? We don't know. Is Mary Berry going with it? We don't know. He was caught sneaking in for secret talks with Channel 4 the other day. So I'm assuming they'll put some money on the table and he'll either say yes or no. If he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't have to do it. They'll find somebody else to do it. Jamie Oliver, incidentally, said he can't do it. He's way too busy. Way too busy. Uh, the riots erupting in, uh, in America after cops kill another black man. This is, the, this is the second in as many days. The other story from here is that pilots from EasyJet uh, have said, yes, they are going to go on strike. Will that, will that affect anybody? I don't know. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever flown EasyJet. Have you flown EasyJet? Do you have to stand up? Do you have to hang on to the strap? Or, do you get a seat and everything else? All oh, right, you don't have to sit with the rear gunner or anything like that. Outside toilet or they move them inside? Have to climb on the wing. Cling on, granny, they say, as the thing takes off. I've always wanted to do wing walking. I've always fancied... But you don't, obviously, you're not going to do it on an easy jet plane. I would think, actually, the, the sort of... Would take your face back into another century. But I quite fancy wing walking. I've seen people doing it. There used to be an aeroplane which was logoed up with Crunchy or something like that. It was a cabaret sort of thing. And it used to turn up at all the air shows. And they'd say, and here she is, she's 94. And I think, oh my God, her teeth must have left the ground long before she did. And, uh, and they do this wing walking. They're strapped in. I thought that must be quite nice. That must be quite nice. I quite fancied that idea. But I watched a horrendous programme on the television. Yes, Aero Superbatics. And uh, they do the utterly butty, butterly. And they say it's wing walking, but I don't see anybody walking it. I think you just stand there. And, uh, and, it's, but, and then sometimes it goes upside down, and that makes me feel a, slightly sick. Slightly sick. But, but they, they call it wing walking, but it's not. You're there, and you're, you're tied onto it, I think. And then they did a thing. They did... Uh, plane-to-plane transfer of, of fueling. Do you remember when they did that fueling? And it's, that, that, I thought, was fairly, fairly scary. But there were loads of famous people. Lots of, lots of ladies did it. However, eight wing-walkers died in a relatively short period during the infancy of wing-walking. And uh, even the great Omer Locklear himself perished in 1920 whilst performing a stunt for a film. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to do something like that, but I do fancy the idea... Of, of being part of a flying circus, something like that. But I've, I've been to aerial shows before. I quite like them. I quite like them. They're very noisy. And having grown up on RAF air bases, you know exactly what aeroplanes are like. So I've got, I've got a really ridiculous picture of me at the age of about 12 wearing a pilot's helmet, sitting on a Spitfire. I look ridiculous, honestly. I look so fresh-faced. You know, I sort of, I, I can't tell you what I look like. Just, I just don't look butch enough to be sitting in an aeroplane. There was nothing going on there at all. Um, the, uh, the disabled woman on the train, the two men who didn't move, the Daily Mail, had published a photograph of them. Oh, dear, how embarrassing for them. How embarrassing. She said she'd booked it. Uh, either way, she was disabled. They weren't giving up a seat for a disabled woman at all. And uh, they said, no, we're not going to. But you see that all the time. It's the only time... <coughs> excuse me, that men do not give up their seats for ladies uh, on the train or on the bus or anything like that. You do, Sometimes people on the buses, I've been known to oik people out of seats. Oi, out! There's an elderly lady here who wants to sit down. Uh, but of course, what makes it worse is sometimes the elderly people say, no, it's all right, we're, we're all right. You think, no, don't say that. Make people give up their seats. That's the whole idea of being elderly. You can be all grumpy and miserable and go, I need to sit down, young man. Get out of my seat. There's a picture there, but you do get a lot of tourists who obviously can't read pictures, so they don't seem to bother with it. And uh, I think we should ban prams. I think prams have got to go from buses. There's just not enough room. 
and screaming babies. I think there should be a sort of some sort of pacifier that's available free on the bus. You put a pound into a slot and you get a free dummy or something like that. Because the noise recently has been just terrible and terrible and terrible. Uh, the vet's warning in all the papers today. Buying trendy, flat-faced dogs. These are pugs. Um, French uh, staffies, French... Uh, any dog that's got sort of one of those little snub noses, what they say is that the dog can develop breathing problems and all sorts of things. It's like boxers. Boxers always get hip problems. A friend of mine, David, uh, had a company, still in existence. They, they did our patio many, many years ago. And uh, he used to have boxers. And I thought they were lovely. Lovely, but they ended up with sort of hip problems. Not so good. Uh, Roy Keane's car getting stuck in the car wash. He's got a bit of anger management, so he was shouting and bawling and doing the rest of it. Whereas, of course, if he'd parked the thing properly in there, it would have been absolutely fine. The woman who stole 52 grand, part of it went on Nando's chicken. I don't see... I really don't see it. I really don't see it. I I can't quite get my head around that at all, but anyway. Uh, Penguins at Longleat. They've lost... Practically an entire, whatever you call a group of penguins. They've only got nine left. I nearly said a herd of penguins, but I think not. It would be a herd of wildebeest, wouldn't it? Penguins would be, it'll be something like, uh, it's not a rookery, is it? A rookery? A, ro- a raft of penguins. A raft of penguins. That sort of makes them sound like they're all clinging on, doesn't it? A raft of penguins. Oh, well. It's a what? A Parliament of Owls. Yes, that is an odd one, isn't it? That'd be the sort of thing that'll crop up on one of these quiz shows. And they go, what is it of owls? Is it a so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so? And, of course, the people who go on these quiz shows, some of them are very good. Some of them are so dumb. It makes you wonder how they pass the auditions. Um, again, not getting the message. We, we tried, didn't we, with uh, not using your telephone at the wheel. One of the papers today, I think it's the Mirror, have found another load of people yesterday using their phones at the wheel, texting or actually chatting. So, quite clearly, even with a £200 fine and six penalty points, it is no deterrent. I think the thing you have to do is you have to ban them for ten years from the road. It's as simple as that. We've seen more cases of accidents. And there was a picture the other day. A woman's gone to Britain for seven years. She was uh, texting at the wheel. And you think, reading a text, I think, whatever it was, seven years because she caused a pile-up, one person died. That's, you know, that's really... About as bad as it gets. So anybody caught with their phone at the wheel, I think a 10-year ban from driving. And if you're caught driving again, you go straight to prison and it's automatically 10 years. And let's not mess around with this because it's getting out of hand. People using their phones at the wheel, they're not concentrating. People, mind you, I think people smoking at the wheel. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's exactly the same thing. Or chatting to the kids or turning around to the kids and saying, sit down. All this kind of stuff. All that is a distraction on... On the motorways, but there's another about eight people pictured in the paper today, quite clearly identified. Let's just call them, for the purposes of this programme, the simpletons of the roads. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20 is the time. It's Steve Allen with you. Until 7 this morning, it's Thursday 22nd. Stephen has sent me a picture of a green Mazda. That's exactly what my car looked like. It's sort of a hatchbacky type thing, but my God, it was a pain to get in and out of. But I quite liked it. I swapped it for a Rolls. <laughs> I to pay a bit of money. I think they found it dreadfully difficult to get hold of, to get rid of the Mazda. Because once you take a car in, you've then got to sell it on, haven't you? I was watching a thing the other day. It was called... I can't remember. Posh. Posh Porn. 
I think it's where people go in and talk to you know a couple of geezers about you know flogging a bit of stuff. And, uh, and they've got these pawn shops all over the place. They all look slightly dodgy, the people behind them. And they sort of value things. And they were valuing all sorts of things the other day. One of them was the most touching I'd ever seen. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad they did what they did. It was a bloke who went in there and he had a calculator. But it was an old calculator, but in perfect condition from about the 19... Could have been about the 1960s. I don't know. Whatever it was, he wanted £600 for it. And he wanted £600 because he wanted to put it towards a memorial for his late wife, who died a little while ago. And uh, they valued it, uh, but not at the money he wanted, not at £600. And they asked him in there, he went in, and they said, you know, what, what, what do you want the money for? They always ask you that, I don't know why. And uh, he said, I want to buy this memorial for my, uh, for my wife, who, who died. And they call him back in and they go, listen, this is the Mark II model, not the Mark I model. And we don't know who who would actually buy it. It's obviously very specialist. It was one of these things like you move little cogs and wheels and, and stuff like that. And it was an all singing, all dancing, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory calculator. I thought it was lovely. And they said, he said, I've had a chat with my brother. He said, we, we've decided that we're going to give you the money that you want for this and we're going to keep it for ourselves. So they bought it for £600, knowing that they obviously couldn't sell it. They'll probably have to hang on to it for quite a few years until it becomes rare. But they gave him the £600. Well, I mean, honestly, I think he burst into tears. He couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. One guy took something in. They thought it was Aboriginal, turned out to be South African. There was a woman who was selling champagne and uh, some rare wines and things like that. It's amazing, actually. I just buy things to drink. Didn't actually seem, you know, worth doing it. Uh, Adam in South End wants to know whether it's either laziness or stupidity. Probably both. He says, most newish vehicles have Bluetooth. Why don't people use them? I've got no idea. You can go and buy a little Bluetooth unit for about 40 quid. Seriously, they're very cheap. But you're right. It, it's built into the car. I've got it built into my car. And, and you sort of, you think, why don't people use it? It's that physical thing of holding the phone. People have to do it because they can hear better. That's, that's what it is. Uh, but, but you're quite right. I don't know why people don't use it. There is uh, somebody, isn't there? It's a, this, this guy who was driving around Richmond or wherever it was. And um, he was filming numerous cyclists riding along Priory Lane by Richmond Park, calling them all sorts of names. And then he blasts two cyclists who appear uh, in the video for cycling uh, too wide, that he toots them. Because round our way, we get no end of cyclists coming in from Kingston. On a Sunday, sometimes they're two or three, you know, uh, abreast. And you have to pull out around them. And, yeah, yeah, he actually shouts at two people being too abreast where they're not. But, uh, so he's obviously, he's got a bit of road rage. We saw the thing the other day that reminds me, actually, looking at the picture of that car, there was um, a story in the paper of two men who had robbed this house of their terracotta soldiers. He'd bought two terracotta soldiers, three foot tall each, paid a couple of thousand pounds for them, had them shipped over from China. But you could buy them in this country. There's a company that sell replicas of the terracotta uh, soldiers. And somebody put them in the car. And it was in this part of the country. I thought, well, these people are going to be so easy to find. Because this car, uh, it was caught on CCTV. The moment they actually put the back bit down, you can see the number plates. They can have these people in custody in a matter of seconds. Fantastic. Uh, by the way, Steve, look at the wing-walking accident on YouTube before you, before you enlist. An American pilot misjudged how close to the ground whilst upside down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've, I've decided that I'm not going to... I mean, let's face it, everybody's pointed out to me. 
um, I get dizzy standing on a chair. So there's no point in actually going wing-walking because I'm, I'm feeling slightly queasy even thinking about it now. Mick says, I got up on a bus for a pregnant lady. She refused, gave me a dirty look and said she was pregnant, not ill. Yeah. And uh, I've flown with EasyJet, says Malcolm, slightly concerned when the pilot introduced himself as Pontius. Pontius pilot, OK, get that one. Well, they're actually going to go... Um, they're going to go on strike. I think they want sort of better conditions or something. I don't know. I've never flown EasyJet, but I'm sure it's lovely. Mark in Kidderminster, he says, the man versus food isn't doing the programme anymore because of doctor's orders. I'm not at all surprised. <coughs> the amount of stuff that he would shove in his... I mean, seriously, I thought he was about to explode. Apparently, the craze often visited the set of Sparrows Can't Sing and made a cameo appearance towards the end of the film. And uh, somebody says, Jim says... I spotted Reggie during the scene just before the pub fight at the end of the film. He's sitting at the end of the bar right at the back. I'll check when I go home. As far as I remember, they didn't feature in the film. Either one of them. They had a bit of a reputation. I don't think they would have done, but I, I can have a check. I'm quite sure that either Scott or Barbara could uh, confirm that. Uh, a raft is the collective noun for a group of penguins floating in the ocean, says Paul. Apparently you get a colony, a rookery or a waddle. All right. I said, I said a rookery, didn't I? I always thought it was a rookery as well. I like it. We, we like a waddle. Uh, Mick says, anybody caught on their phones whilst driving, ban, prison, large fine, crush the car. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't disagree, but there's pictures of loads of people in the papers today who've been caught at the wheel of the car. There's probably people listening to this programme at the moment who are on the phone. Lorry drivers, could be all sorts of people. And uh, the reason drivers don't use their vehicles, Bluetooth or an earpiece, is because they're complete and utter... So-and-so, Steve. Yes, I mean, I, I would agree. But when you see the uh, the carnage and the accident, I mean, the simple thing is, you know, don't... I mean, you wouldn't sit there with a bottle of whiskey, would you, drinking it in the car? So why would you pick up the phone? It's a case of if you have the, the, the phone in the car and it rings, you'd be stupid to touch it because at that moment that you might touch it, there's going to be a policeman sitting alongside you because they spot people. And people, and there's, I mean, there's, there's one bloke here, he's quite clearly a plank. He's looking down at his phone, he's texting whilst driving with one hand. I mean, he's a complete and utter idiot. And then there's, uh, there's one bloke, looks like he's, yes, he's definitely got his phone. There's an old fat bloke on the phone. There's, um, it's mainly blokes this time round. Oh no, we found one woman, M- might be just a camp man. Uh, this was on the M62 yesterday. All people on their phones. You see, I would, l- I think they should have a designated police service out there who go out looking for people on their phones in unmarked lorries and all sorts of things, transit vans, but supercharged. So you can catch up with cars. You pull them into the side of the road. OK, you're under arrest. You've been using your phone at the wheel. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. We've just seen you. We've got pictures of you. In fact, the bloke who's using it here, I mean, he's going to be known as the biggest saddo in life. Once his friends see his picture in the mirror today, they're going to go, you've been caught out, mate. Because once they've seen you, they're going to remember your face. That's what police officers do. They remember somebody's face. They know exactly which motorways they're on. You know, there are certain... I mean, I wouldn't, I've never been on the M62. I wouldn't even know where it went to. But I certainly, if I'd been pictured at the wheel on the phone, I would expect to be roundly chastised. But I wouldn't do it. It's as simple as that. Uh, Ola Jordan. Poor old Ola Jordan. Honestly, where did that career go? Oh, that's right. She started taking her clothes off and doing a bit of that sort of tacky modelling. And, uh, and now, of course, she's scraped the barrel. There's nothing. Nothing for her husband to do apart from moan about Strictly, but nobody really cares about him at all. But uh, bosses think that Ola, 33, but I think, I'm not sure if that's inches tall, uh, is going to be uh, great value in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Why? 
Why would she be remotely interesting to anybody? I'm not, I don't see the book selling in huge volumes. Anybody correct me on that one? No. And uh, then, apparently, the other one that they're thinking of going for is somebody called Aliona. Never even heard of her. Never. She could, she could work behind the, uh, the sushi counter in Selfridges. I've got no idea who she is at all. But uh, Aliona won the Glitterball partnering of the wanted heartthrob Jay McGuinness, 26. And a source said both Aliona owner are absolutely gorgeous. It's a bit sexist talk, isn't it? I thought we're supposed to be employing people in there. You're not employing people because of their looks. And to be honest with you, once you've seen Ola Jordan without any makeup on, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to be thinking looks. And um, apparently, uh, Vincent Simone is the only strictly star to enter the jungle. Uh, other people to go in there. This year, they think Nigel Farage. Uh, Gogglebox star Scarlett Moffat. I mean, she's as boring as anything. Ryan Locht. Lochte. That's the disgraced Olympian. And uh, Spencer Matthews. Oh, poor old Spencer. Honestly, you've tried it once with the steroids. Surely you're not going to waste everybody's time and go back in again. And uh, ITV want to keep the number of reality show personalities to a minimum. Well, so far, they're all reality shows, aren't they? Except Nigel Farage. And I don't, can't see him wanting to do anything like that. Really not. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Apparently you can wing walk, they tell me, at Goodwood. My friend did it, Steve, early this year. And Johnny wants to know how the people were taking pictures of people on their phones. It was taken by the passenger. That's why. So somebody's driving the car, and here, and I think they're, they're police photos. Whether or not they, they pull people in afterwards, I've got no idea. But, uh, yes, it's the passenger taking the, uh, taking the picture. Uh, Kim in Lower Gorner is going off to see the Flying Scotsman and the Tornado today at the Seven Valley Railway. How lovely. My favourite collective noun for birds, says Sill, is a charm of goldfinches. A charm of goldfinches. That sounds quite nice. You don't, don't see many of them, do you? And um, the M62, Steve, is Oop North. Oh. God, is it? Well, there's no chance of me being anywhere near it, is there? Front pages of the papers at 25 minutes to seven. Steve Allen with you till seven. Nick Ferrari is going to be here. Matt Fry is looking at the papers today. He's got his new show that starts tomorrow on... Uh, no, not tomorrow. He starts on Saturday. I keep thinking today's Friday. I'm so sorry. I've moved it on a little bit for you. And you're all going, oh, please, please don't tell us it's Friday just yet. Especially for those people who work the weekends. So the front pages of the, uh, the papers. Apparently the supermarkets are going to shrink packets rather than put up prices. That's a good idea, because sometimes you, you get all... I wish Amazon had shrink packages. You know, I bought a ring the other day. I mean, a, a tiny ring. The box was about a foot square. I've never seen anything like it, by about eight inches deep. For a little... A little t- you could have popped it in a jiffy bag. would have been much easier. Uh, MI6 hires hundreds more spies in the war against terror. And uh, Gucci show at Milan Fashion Week. I don't know why we bother with fashion. Who's interested? It just drags out a bunch of no-hopers who sit there, you know, going, oh, this is, this is sort of London Fashion Week. And I'm thinking, who cares? Most people go to Topshop and they go to all these other places. You know, it's got nothing to do with Fashion Week. You see most of these bizarre creations. Who wears this stuff? I've noticed Molly Parkin turned up on television the other day. And I wasn't sure if it was a new programme, an old programme. Anyway, Molly Parkin was sort of known for her eccentricity of... Uh, of sort of just about everything, really. And I had a clash with her on a TV programme ages ago. When, strangely enough, we were talking about the uh, the dome and what you would put in it to showcase the best of British. And I just I didn't think it was worthwhile, actually, having a dome down there. You could have just had a small bivouac and uh, clashed with Molly and her daughter. Uh, and then she went bankrupt. It all collapsed for her. Everything collapsed. She became an alcoholic and, uh, and she went bankrupt. Anyway, she's now got a council flat. 
which she sort of decorated. And uh, you're thinking, what are the rest of the family doing? Can't they, can't they put her up or something like that? Anyway, she was as mad as a broomstick on this programme. Walking through London in her sort of huge clothes, a little bit like that uh, Camilla Batman-Charlie from uh, the kids' company. I wonder what she does now. But, uh, but you look at all these people, these bizarre creations at uh, Gucci's fashion show uh, in Milan Fashion Week. You think, who cares? Who cares? Just people walking funny up and down a catwalk. That's about it. Um, they've, uh, they've got other stories on the front pages of the papers. Apart from the, the supermarket shrinking, I think the main story on the front of the Times would be women dying for the lack of this cancer drug, which they say costs 19 pence. And apparently they're not, they're not spending the money on it. More than a thousand women they say die from breast cancer each year because doctors cannot prescribe a drug that costs an average of 19p a day and could significantly extend their lives. Squabbling over which NHS body will pay has left the life-saving drug sitting on the shelf. Health chiefs have been urged to step in to make sure and make it clear how the drugs will be funded to prevent women dying as a result of red tape. I think that's far more important than, than some ridiculous person with a wig on and silly glasses talking about Milan Fashion Week. Uh, the front of the Express this morning... Uh, Bake Off's Candice. Grandmother would have been so proud. Just a Bake Off show, dear. Don't get ideas above your station. Okay? Just sort of bake, go away, bake, go away. Okay? End of story. Um, Also, uh, it's Brad and Angelina. One of the rare occasions she's kind of smiling, half smiling. I think she's... uh, I think it's just not going to go very well for either of them. This one, the poor kid's going to be stuck in the middle. It's her brother, I think. (coughs) Excuse me, who is their nanny. He sort of takes them out and looks after them, so perhaps they're all far too busy talking to lawyers. Uh, the Daily Mirror have decided to put that on the front page. The raging rows, the bust-ups. And uh, it's, because I can imagine, once, once you start going down the slippery slope, and it probably, probably applies to all sorts of people in this day and age, and, and you start, you just don't want to go home, you don't want to be there, you don't like anything about it, you just want to push it to one side, but at the same time you can't because it's been your life for ages and ages. It's, you know, it's just... Really, really difficult, I think, for people nowadays, A, to make marriages work, uh, B, there's worries about money, there's worries about health, there's worries about family, there's worries about businesses. There's so many things that put pressure on you. And at the same time, you've got to keep your marriages together. Although I've noticed that Samuel L. Jackson's marriage has been rock steady for years. So if he can manage it and loads of other people can manage it, you know, I see no reason why Brad and Angelina can't manage it. But of course, they can't. And I don't think it's ever come up that they should go to uh, have some sort of counselling or something like that. Because that would be admitting, wouldn't it, on their behalf, that in fact they're not fit for purpose. They don't actually know how to deal with each other at all. Most Americans do at some point have a, have a therapist. I don't know whether or not Brad and Angelina have decided to go and see somebody who can maybe sort out their, their marriage woes. But I, I suspect it's a case of she's bored anyway. And if this has been going on for some time, there was also rumours in one of the... I mean, you've never heard such stuff in your life. Rumours of dope smoking, cross-dressing. Whee! Gets better by the minute, doesn't it? And rows and drunkenness and all this kind of thing. And so they sort of... They just, they just get to the end of their, their tether. He's very sad that it's finished, because he obviously thought it was really going well. And she obviously can't wait to get out. Uh, she has a personal fortune of about £120 million. She's not particularly successful, but she's still managed to earn that much money. He has a successful production company. They've got lots of property together. He earned £31 million last year. So he's not doing too bad, is he, considering I can't name three of his films. I could probably manage to come up with one if I wrapped my brains, but I couldn't come up with three. And um, And she's sort of just been courted and you know, whizzed around Parliament here by William Hague, 
which just made him look a little bit like a turnip, you know, dragging around Angelina Jolie, having his picture taken with her as if she was somebody special. She's just another ordinary person in the world who happens to have an extraordinary job and happens to make a lot of money. So combined, probably about 30 million. They've got a vineyard. They've got a huge estate, which I think uh, he paid 50 million for. And it's got 35 bedrooms and it's it's got the usual sort of claptrap that the American uh, hierarchy think they need to have. And they think they need to have these things because it's all a status symbol. And the more of a status symbol you've got, the more people are impressed by you. The more people go, wow, you've got this house and that house and you've got, wow, you've got $300 million. Well, I mean, we don't know if they've actually got cash $300 million or whether or not that's combined with all their all their property. Could be anything, couldn't it, really? Uh, Steve, I passed at least 15 cars during congestion on the A127. I saw eight people busy with their phones, seven of them women, seven of them women. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? You, I don't think you're ever going to stop it. I go down the road all the time and see people on their phones. Seriously. It's, that's, that's what people do nowadays. Uh, the bank cyber fraud plea. Uh, banks are being urged to repay all victims of cyber fraud after the UK's biggest tech uh, tech con saw customers lose 113 million. It was bank staff like Amy Daramola and her bent sister who were passing on details for, uh, for backhanders. And uh, the man behind it literally just transferred money. He was phoning these people up. The old phoning up trick. You need to speak to your bank because we think there has been fraud activity on your account. Oh, OK. I'll phone them now. OK, you must do that. Phone. Hello, the bank. Yes, it is. Yes. You know, because that's what we say, isn't it? When somebody goes, hello, and you then say, is that Lloyd's or is that Barclays or whatever? And they go, yes. They go, oh, it's Mrs. So-and-so here. Oh, yes, we've been expecting your call. Is this over the the activity on your account? It is. Yes, wait a minute. Let me just put you through to somebody. Hello? Still talking to the fraudster. Hello? Yes. And so 113 million. Must be dead easy, mustn't it? We must be so gullible. I wouldn't even pick up the phone, actually. I'd just leave it. If somebody's got a message, let them leave a message. But fraudsters never leave messages. They really don't. They're just waiting till you pick up the phone. Uh, No questions, Steve. Take away and crush mobile phones. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't even think that's going to be a deterrent. People just go out and buy another one. I don't think they actually care, actually. I don't think they care. Um, and that's why they've pictured all these people in the, uh, in the papers again. Uh, what's this? This is... Uh, oh, Lisa Snowden could be sending fans gaga by appearing in The Jungle. They're hoping she can provide another waterfall moment like dreadful show-off Mylene Class. I don't, why are they obsessed with this sexism on the programme? Why are they obsessed? Is this sort of... I mean, who's actually writing this stuff? Is it feeble-minded journalists who go, oh, yes, we must have a Mylene Class... It's the first one to get under the shower. It's the first one to get under the shower, but we've had a few out there, haven't we? We've sort of taken all their clothes off, and that just, just made us feel a little bit uh, nauseous. But it's a case of, you know, will she go under the shower? Will she reveal all her celebrity secrets? The answer is no, she won't. No, she won't. But there will be people out there who will be trying to uh, gain the coverage. Uh, but frankly, I've, I've watched the programme before. I just want Ant and Deck to eat all this stuff out there, all the bugs and the live things and do it. But of course, they won't. They're far too girly for things like that. Far too girly. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I'm not sure what the law is regarding police officers on their phone. I think they're allowed to use their phones at the wheel, aren't they? Because they have, they have the, uh, the radio on their shoulder, don't they? 
And so I think they're, I'm sure that they're allowed to use it. Because somebody, uh, Declan, says, I spotted an unmarked police car, blue lights in the grill going round a corner, one hand steering, the other with a mobile phone up against the ear. I think they're allowed to. I think if they're on their way to do something, what do you expect them to do? Pull into the side of the road and find a phone box. No, I think they're allowed to, uh, to use it. Although, actually, we found, um, we found somebody here. Um, this was on the, the show Car Wars. A Northumbrian police officer rapped for using her mobile phone whilst driving. Oh, she was making a personal call. She was making a personal call whilst in, in control of a police vehicle at Sergeant Julie Neve. Although it was not a criminal offence, as the officer was driving on a police access road to a police station and in the police staff area of the car park, she's been spoken to by buses. Uh, by buses. By buses. Uh, she was not handed any penalty points uh, or a fine, but has made a contribution to break the road safety charity. Yeah, she was on a private road, actually, a police access road to a police station. But it was um, a private personal call whilst in control and uh, whilst it was in the area with no public access we do not allow the use of phones whilst driving because you don't know if they were if they were dealing with something you know it might be somebody telling them you need to cut this person off here because they've just committed a crime we don't know actually in her case because it was uh, it was filmed for the television she got kind of uh, kind of caught with it so uh, caught with the old pants down uh, spare us from lovies who lecture us on migrants as they jet between mansions say the daily mail who is this it's George Clooney. I mean, why you'd ever take his advice on anything, I can't imagine. And Amal, who's sort of... She's been sort of elevated from just ordinary, very average, whoever, uh, to George Clooney's wife, and they sit there holding hands, and it's all it's all quite sweet, and it's all quite uh, quite lovely. But the papers are not buying into it at all. They're, they're, they're really sort of saying that, who are these people? You know, these bleeding heart lovies, they lecture us on migrants. All they do is jet from mansion to mansion. They don't know anything at all. And they were at the United, United Nations visiting the Clooney's. I mean, why would you be interested in anything that George Clooney's got to say? I can't imagine. Uh, and um, a deeply controversial conclusion of a new book. We should kill every stray cat in Britain. Going to upset the cat lovers, isn't it? A leading naturalist is backing a cull. I'll let you read that. It's in the uh, in the Daily Mail today. They're also talking about the 200 soldiers go to war with the MOD. The hounded heroes plan to take the top brass to court. Uh, a law firm backed by 200 is planning to seek a judicial review over the government's failure to support its troops. Hilary Meredith, who's taking the case, said soldiers have been left helpless before the aggressive investigators of the taxpayer-funded Iraq Historic Allegations team. Brad and Angelina, tooth and nail, they will fight for the kids. Who do you think will win? Got no idea. I mean, it's going to get messy. And, of course, that's, uh, that's going to be the exciting thing, isn't it? Uh, Dell says police are not allowed to use phones whilst behind the wheel. Uh, well, they do talk because they have voice recognition, don't they? So they, they, they do talk to people. I've seen them doing it. I've seen all the police programmes, so I know exactly what goes on. Apparently, Angelina Jolie is going to be a guest professor at LSE. Women's studies and other things, says Anne. Wow. Why? Who, who cares what Angelina Jolie thinks? Daily Star, Brad, I will battle for my kids. Uh, he's accused the actress of unleashing hell on their entire family with her wild claims about him. This is the, uh, the claims of... I don't know whether the cross-dressing one came from her. I'm quite, listen, I'm quite sure that all these Hollywood actors and actresses, they've all got hidden skeletons in their cupboard. It's just that when their marriages fall apart, as indeed you would expect them to, because this is now her fourth. Fourth marriage. Three that have gone wrong. This will be the fourth one. I mean, quite clearly, she needs to look in the mirror. It'll be her. It'll be her. That'll be the uh, the main problem. 
84850, steve at uk. June says, uh, can't name three films. I can. Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen them, actually, so it doesn't really help. And uh, it says here, people making the calls to people in cars have to be responsible as well. If you ring someone and they say they're in the car driving, even with hands-free, you tell them, I'll call you later. Exactly. Nothing is that important. Nothing is that important. You need to, unless you're telling them that, you know, somebody's just died. But you don't need to. You don't need to, you know, phone somebody. I mean, people now, because we've got telephones, people phone anybody at the drop of a hat, don't they? Hello, I'm on the bus. Why would that be of interest to people? Um, yeah. yeah. How are you? Yeah. And you think, why don't you just wait till you get off the bus? I'm not interested in your boring little life. Terrible. Spitfires do loop rolls, apparently, says Steve. Bless you. He said, I went to um, a show a few years ago. It was great. And uh, we had a Cliff Richard lookalike on a London bus, uh, singing just like Cliff, and then a flying show, two planes with smoke coming out of the back, finishing uh, in the two making a love heart out of the smoke. Yes, they do these vapour trails, but with coloured smoke, don't they? Which is, you're right, it's very very pretty and very nice, but it's not, not a patch on my wing walking. I could stand up there with a sparkler, couldn't I? could hold a sparkler and see how long it would keep going. Because I don't believe you can blow sparklers out. So I think that would be... Uh, a lot of people are inquiring as to who is the ring for that I bought the other day. Well, that would be telling. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been lucky enough, Steve, uh, to go to Australia a number of times. And there's a place called Phillip Island, where at dusk you watch hundreds of penguins surf the waves to the shore and waddle up to their colonies. Yeah, they knocked down a load of houses so they could put up a penguin colony. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a tourist attraction. Tourists love it. The penguins are totally oblivious to people and they waddle about all over the place. And it's lovely. People like that. It's very heartwarming. And so people go back and say, look, I've got pictures of penguins. And people go, well, that's really, really boring. And so we quite like things like that, don't we? But I I have seen it on television loads and loads of times. Loads and loads of times. Uh, (coughs) Steve, I don't agree with the cull on stray cats. How about the urban foxes? Well, they don't know, do they? They don't know what's going on. Uh, police are not exempt from the law re-phones. They're only exempt for parking and speeding. They're just too lazy to use the uh, in-car hands-free radio, says Mick. I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, I don't know, I think it's contentious. In America, you can use your phone at the wheel. You can't text, but you can use the phone so you can chat to somebody. What's the difference? There's no difference, is there? What about it's like in other countries? They have the same, the same kind of bands that we do. You can't do this, but you can do that. Because I would have thought eating at the wheel is a distraction as well. And I see people eating at the wheel all the time. And yet you're supposed to have, this is the law, two hands on the wheel. When you're driving, two hands on the wheel. If you don't have two hands on the wheel, then you should be stopped and fined. But I shouldn't imagine the police are that particularly bothered half the time, are they? Because it's just ridiculous. Uh, Steve, that was a very young Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise, says Angela in Bexley Heath. Right. I'm still none the wiser. I mean, I'd, I'd, and I wouldn't know any films that she'd been in at all. Really. I mean, I'd, it's just it's just ridiculous. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Celia Walden meeting Angelina's divorce lawyer and Afghanistan veterans facing investigation into Taliban claims. Uh, plus the elderly ripped off by specialist insurers. Apparently drivers and homeowners are being ripped off by insurer providers catering to the over-50s, paying four times as much for cover that is offered by regular providers. 
The claims are made during a witch survey. Well, I tend to trust witch on just about everything, so if they say that's what goes on. But I always think people are penalised. I always think years ago, there, there used to be... I don't think they do it so much now. There used to be a range of, uh, of foods and sweets, and they said, for diabetics. And uh, I think Diabetes UK had said, basically, you can eat, you know, normal stuff. with You don't need anything specially made for diabetics. You really don't, unless you've got a chef coming in who's going to cook for you. But I just don't think that it's worth it. So I didn't bother buying any diabetic sweets or diabetic chocolates or anything like that. People said, oh, can we buy you diabetic chocolates? No, absolutely not. If I want any, any chocolates, I'll just eat the, uh, the normal stuff, which actually I'm not, uh, not too thrilled in. Um, also, in the paper today, a picture of, uh, well, not really, a not, a picture of Mazir Mahmood, who used to work for the, was it the News of the World, I think, that we don't have any more? It's at the News of the World, and uh, he's in court, but of course he's going in in disguise, which I think is, is quite interesting, because nobody's supposed to know what he looks like. So he's got a hood over his head, and uh, he stays undercover, which is good. Financial Times this morning, a uh, picture on the front, uh, Apple revving up for deal with Formula One's McLaren. This is over a strategic investment or potential takeover. It's been denied by all sorts of people, but we're watching that one fairly carefully. And in the top... World University ranking, it's Oxford. Oxford that takes the top thing. That's according to the Times Higher Education Rankings. Uh, The top ten is otherwise dominated by America, but Cambridge came in fourth, and Imperial College London placed eighth. Uh, Waitrose, there's a story about Waitrose in the paper today. Watching some of their so-called bargains. uh, And they say that Waitrose are the worst offenders. They're not the best bargains that you think they are. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, very few American states, says Eric, let you talk on your cell phone whilst driving in my state. Huge fine. Yes, it, well, it's obviously different all over the place, isn't it? I'm, I'm assuming that um, it's, it, it's a case of in this state you can do this, in that state you can't do that. You just have to check when you get in there, don't you? Makes perfect sense. Sadly, that's it for this morning. Thank you very much indeed. We have a free podcast for you every day where we look at the wonderful world of celebrity. All you have to do is go to the LBC website, the new improved LBC website, which is lbc.co.uk. If you go there, then you can find out all about your favourite presenters. You can uh, enter competitions and uh, you can catch up with all the videos. Lots of the people that I've talked to for In Conversation are up there because we filmed them at the same time as we did the interview. So you can check all of those out there. But if you download the LBC app, which is for your mobile or tablet, it means you don't miss a moment. You get all the free podcasts sent to you automatically. Uh, It doesn't cost you a penny piece, and it means that when you go around the world, you can listen to LBC. Uh, You've got it on your phone. It's brilliant. Follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Still keep thinking it's Friday. I don't know why. Uh, leading Britain's conversation at 10, it's James O'Brien. Uh, but coming up next, and his special guest is Matt Fry, whose new show starts Saturday on LBC. It's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.